Value Town is a production of ChamMV TV. Find out all show information and details at ChamMV.tv. Value Town is directly supported by listeners like yourself via patreon.com slash valuetown. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 122 of Value Town. I'm Chan Man V, and joining me today are Noxious, back from his almost victory in Gwent. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hearthstone world, man. Thank you. Uh, feels good to be home, to be fair. I, you know, I went to Poland thinking, I'm just going there to breathe some Polish air, come back home empty-handed. Ah, no expectations. And I ended up uh, coming back with second place, which was pretty good. So Far from empty-handed. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close to empty-handed. Uh, but overall, the experience was great, though. Yeah, honestly, CDPR, CD Project Red, is by far the best gaming studio I've ever had the chance to work with. And I've worked with a ton of them for the sake of consulting, yeah. you know, and, and work and everything. It's just been, yeah, there's just nothing else to it. The CDPR is probably by far the the most dedicated studio I, I've had the chance to to meet with. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also joining us today is The Rat. He's back. What's up, buddy? Nothing much. Still recovering from my uh, sickness God, from last week. Dude, you had a week. <laughs> you had a dude, week this was a better. rough one, dude. It was rough. Like... I'm almost there. There, I think like another day or two, and I'll be good to go. Okay. Okay. I, I'll say something though, dude. But just before, I think two days ago, I, I finally got past the cold and everything. I had a three-week like sinusitis after with Dreamhack? like everything. After it was like like a little bit at the end of DreamHack, and then it's been oh, it's been nonsense, man. It was before DreamHack, and then after DreamHack, during DreamHack, everything. It's been like three weeks. I'm finally done. I feel you, man. <laughs> You'll be fine. We we need to come up with a name for the dream. Like, you know, they always call you know the Pax sickness the pox, right? Or the Pax pox or whatever. So for dream hack, what is it, man? Is it like dream hacking or uh, any anything? Can you think of just from a sickness? I don't know about the dream hacking, but I'm hacking. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> Dream hack and cough. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm trying to get at. Hacking um, cough. It's kind of crazy yeah. how how. Uh, common it is you know getting people getting sick but everybody in a close quarters it kind of makes sense too especially at dream hack people you know it's a land party too we don't we don't actually partake in the land usually but can you imagine sleeping in that room with all those people there's bound to be a lot of people sick in that room yeah well welcome to plane rides man <laughs> tell you about i'll tell you about a diseased nest it has wings and it flies <laughs> It's got babies in it that just oh, won't shut up. And then you just come out. Two days later, you don't know what hit you, but you can't oh, stop. <laughs> yeah. Welcome Good to Plane Rides. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, today, guys, we've got uh, just a lineup of things as usual. Not quite as crazy busy as some of the previous weeks, but we've got some new features announced by Blizzard yesterday. Uh, as well as some player news, including um, involving Life Coach and Strife Crow, um, and then we've got maybe one or two decks to talk about that I, I've been seeing a bit more on the ladder, at least where I'm at. And uh, Crips video, uh, well, he, he comes up with a video every day, but a particular video about the problems of Hearthstone seemed to have been generating a lot of discussion. So I figured we would talk about it too, give our our take on 
maybe the problems with Hearthstone or whatever what people perceive as problems, mm-hmm. um, as well as Q and A. We've got uh, two or three questions today, so we'll we'll definitely jump into that. But before we get started, I do want to mention that we have a game coach sponsoring this episode of Value Talent. Want to rank up to Hearthstone and become legendary? Well, you should check out Game Coach's website. They're a coaching site that has uh, various games, and Hearthstone being one of them. It's at uh, game-coach.com. And there's a good number of Hearthstone coaches there, George C. being one of them. And I have some folks that hang out in the Discord, you know, just in our, our Hearthstone Discord. And recently I've had a couple of people just ask about coaching generally, and they have no idea where to start. This is exactly the great place to start. Just go to a, a, you know, this website, gamecoach.com or game-coach.com, and then you can you know, find a pro that you can connect with on Discord and then get started. It's really, really simple. Calendar's there. You just sign up. And then if you use the Value Town code, you get 10% off too. So definitely go and check that out. And I really appreciate them sponsoring the episode too. As well, you know, of course, Value Town is also sponsored by patrons. So you can go and support uh, Value Town at patreon.com slash Value Town. All right, let's hop into the news now. And first bit of news is that we have new features coming, which is always exciting. I mean, it's not as exciting as new cards and everything, but new features is good. And Depends on the feature. I, I, tra- <laughs> I was going to say, features. I would trade new cards for features. If there okay, were, like, which, which really feature recently has been just, at, you know, like, would trump an expansion? Which feature uh, that they can implement? Or oh, no, which feature have they implemented in the past has trumped an expansion? I can't well, think of one. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know what you guys are talking about. I would totally take new Well, we've never had a feature I would share I mean, an expansion for, is my point. <laughs> yeah. If you tell me we're getting a full-on tournament mode okay, in tournament game, mode, say, we're, we're okay. skipping an expansion, right. I'm like, all right, for the future of Hearthstone, I'll fucking I'll suck okay, it up. Okay, okay. But, I'll give you tournament mode. Tournament mode yeah. is expansion. But there's sure, not many we're, more. We already gave you one. There's not many more than that, though. <laughs> I have to say that. What about one where if I'm playing a friendly and my game crashes, I can reconnect to the same spot? No, no. 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 no it I might trade five cards of an expansion. Okay, okay, for, me, for me, maybe it's worth more than it is to I mean, right? yeah, it's good for event organizers and maybe you know pro players and things like that. But, I, mean, I don't that's think good. it's better than an expansion. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we agree to disagree there. <laughs> okay. So, well, anyways, the first thing that they announced was that um, completing quests or your daily quests and things like that can be completed by playing friendly matches now, which is kind of cool. Kind of encourages folks to, you know, not just play on the ladder, not just play on arena or anything like that, but actually play with your friends, which I think is a pretty big issue uh, right now in terms of Hearthstone and just the social aspect of it. Um, you know, we, I do hear from time to time, you got, you know, like rat, the rat, you guys will have some money matches every once in a while, or somebody will go and use the sealed tool and do something cool like that. But I don't hear it very much though. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's still going on or not. Does that happen much anymore? Uh, I'm always down to money match people. Amnesia, <laughs> shout out. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, people really don't like playing. It's, I've talked about it before on the show, but people like just playing the ladder. Even if it's not the most efficient way to practice, even if it's not the best way to practice, they've just always experienced the game on the ladder. They like playing the ladder. Like mm-hmm. you'll see some people on the EU prelims right now, like playing against each other, and you'll see it next week for NA. Now that they have their lineups and stuff, uh, and they and they probably have played against each other a bit beforehand. But like for the most part, there's a lot of ladder playing. That, but which you is know, weird playing... to me, man. It's super super weird to me. I don't yeah, like it. Uh, so, I yeah, don't yeah. understand why anybody would choose the ladder over 
skirmishes with friends if you're looking to prep for a tournament it literally makes no sense well it depends on like how far out too right like let's say like what if i wanted to practice like two weeks out three weeks out like people want to get you know they want to get to legend because i feel like that's something they're supposed to okay sure they want to get to top 100 because that's something Mm -hmm. you're supposed to do they want to play in open tournaments because that's something you're supposed to do right it's like, you know, when you log into World of Warcraft and you feel like you got a bunch exactly. of dailies That's to a do good before analogy. you can even play with your friends. <laughs> That's a great analogy. It just doesn't feel efficient. You know, the, there's that side of us that mobile games, t- you know, very typically try to eat at, which is you want to be as efficient as possible. You know, want to log in and get those rewards and make sure, you know, every second of your time is doing something to progress or in, in a lot of these games. And I, I feel like that's the same issue with wanting to play on ladder or not playing on ladder versus just playing your friends. So um, this type of thing where the quests get completed, playing with friends, it doesn't help like in a big way, but at least it's something that, that encourages maybe some more of the casual folks to play against each other. Um, Because really there's no reason to play against each other right now outside of getting the quests that, you know, the 80 gold quests where you do have to play each other. So um, I think it was good. I feel like they still need to do some more things. I'm not sure exactly what they should do um, in terms of, you know, encouraging that type of play. But, um, you know, at least this is a step in the right direction. Next thing that they added is deck importing and exporting, which I think is really cool. I mean, you guys might disagree, but I feel like it's something that we've been needing for a while now, which is um, there is going to be a feature, and they kind of show it here. Uh, Whenever you right-click on the, you know, where the deck name is, where you can usually rename things, um, there's going to be something that's that's going to be an option that's called export, which is going to export this text file, uh, and then you can use that text file to import. You know, when you're when you're creating a new deck, so uh, net decking obviously will be a lot easier now. You know, instead of having to look at these lists and then go through and you know just flip through all the different cards and pick from it, um, you'll be able just to load it up with these text files, and um, maybe it just makes going from using some of these online tools to you know like let's say the sealed tool right and, and loading it into this maybe it'll make it easier because these tools now can output in the same you know t- text format that's going to be imported so a um, little bit better there what, what do you wanted to get uh, your thoughts on what you think of this dude yeah i could not i mean i could have asked for a better system that doesn't involve you know the whole copy pasting export get a code to give it to your friends yeah. but I think this is as simple as it gets for cross-platform sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shadowverse, for instance, you know, uses deck codes. They're very similar in that way, where you, you create within the game a deck code, and for a specific amount of time, um, that code can be copied by someone else to create your deck. And then I, at some point, they purge the code from the system. Oh, really? Yeah, Shadowverse purges this, the, the, the codes because they're actually four-letter codes, which makes them a lot easier to share because you don't have to copy-paste the link. You just put in four letters, and for like an hour, that code is going to be viable, and then it's going to get purged and reused for someone else's deck four down letters. the line. Yeah, four-letter codes. Should that be enough for Hearthstone? Um, and that's, that's really the, the crux of the matter probably for Hearthstone is they would have probably had to go for like... I mean, honestly, you add one letter, it's like five to six letters is enough to... It's just a lot of stories. To cover I mean, they, shit. Uh, they have to purge that, yeah. I'm so. thinking about like the uh, back in the day when you used to play like Warcraft 3 custom games and you had to load Oh my god, yes. Like, this long code that you just put <laughs> yeah. in and then it like... Yeah, yeah. You like at the beginning of the custom game when it starts up, you load from a load point and it's just like 12 characters and you have like this notebook of just a bunch yep. of codes written down and it's like, this is like this item, this is <laughs> yep. that item with that. It's kind of crazy they use that, actually. I mean, they could use that for Hearthstone. I mean, they could just store 
lower all, every single deck combination on a server. It's a yeah, lot. Like yeah, every single lot, card yeah. could have its own code, and when you sequence it in a specific manner, they just get added. And I'm, maybe that's what they do. I haven't looked at their system. You know, maybe that's just the way that it is. I don't think they do that. That's, yeah, there's no... That's Honestly, yeah, for as much data as you're going to be storing, yeah. it's not worth yeah. that. So uh, this solution, I think, is mm-hmm. the most practical it's, for everybody. It's, it's probably even less the, the amount of data you're storing because that's actually not that much. It's probably more the um, the amount of access that would be occurring to that data. Yeah, it's the, it's like, the queries. So, it's the queries. No, no, I'm not talking about store. I'm not talking about storing all the deck combos. I'm just talking about. Let's say arcane shot in the code would be represented as like AA, right? Like then if you create a deck with double arcane shot, that would be you know AA, uh, and then maybe oh, a two. You're, you're talking about like shortening. So you could for technically all the cards. generate, yeah, yeah, you could yeah. generate like a short sure, code list you yourself without. Yeah. But I don't know how their system works. Either way, I don't care how it works. The yeah, point is, I am works. super happy that this yeah. is gonna work because sharing deck lists is. Frankly, one of the most tedious things in Hearthstone, when somebody's like, yo, try that deck. They giazo it, send it to you. <laughs> then you have to like include everything. God forbid they ever have golds in there that fuck up the, the formatting. Then you need to figure out what you didn't put. Everything just sucks. But this system is fantastic. I'm just very, very happy to have that. And um, I'm hopeful that... Does it do goals automatically? Goals? Gold? What do you mean? Because th- oh, what they said, I think, cards. is that gold, oh, goldens gold. and non-goldens are going to stack now, right? Yeah. So, like, in your deck <laughs> list, if you have one gold and one non-golden, it'll go, like, a half-golden portrait in the little deck builder. Thank so God. you'll never have these aberrations of a deck list outside of, like, Reno decks, let's say, um, which is great as well for just... It sounds stupid. That's a big deal for me, the gold and non-gold yeah. stacking. So now I can actually use my gold ones because I, I would oh, never use so gold good. cards. I would never use gold cards because I, I don't have two of some of them. And But what about right now way. where like if some gold cards, when you have a gold and a non-gold, they stack on top of each other and then you have different parts of the picture. So like my favorite one is Volcano. Oh my you God. Know, <laughs> volcano and now gold Volcano. It makes a full Volcano. In your yes. Does it really? I didn't even yeah, notice that. Yeah. I thought it was. Uh, I think it's patch. For a lot of cards, it doesn't do that like very well, but yeah. some of them definitely line up. Some of them are like enough. backwards. Yeah. yeah. Like hydrologist is like head is below his body most of the time when you beat the deck list. Yeah. And you really? Gold and gold. Yeah, That's but uh, so it's fun. It's just funny. I like the volcano. Like I actually like didn't make a second gold volcano because I like how it stacks. It looks like wow. a volcano okay. in the deck list. That's but. gonna be cool then. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's is great. This is gonna be um, again a lot more convenient for just having tools kind of be imported into the game or just being able to facilitate some formats that use some external mm-hmm. tools. So uh, kudos to yeah. Blizzard for adding that. Uh, I mean, I come from the age where, like, if you need to copy a deck, you know, you got to bust out the cards and you got to search through all your cards for, like, oh, the God. 40 cards. And then you got to, like, it used to take, like, half an hour to put together a Yu-Gi-Oh! or a Magic deck. Like, how so, did you, I mean, how did you sort them all? Faster. Did you sort them all by power? <clears throat> did you sort them all by alphabetically what was your best i mean you talking to somebody who had a lot of cards like when i quit i sold all my Yu-Gi-Oh cards and got like fourteen thousand dollars so you can imagine like how many cards i had anybody who plays so like i had like uh like a certain amount of each common from like the earlier sets but then once um i stopped doing that error if a card was playable they were probably just in a bunch of different deck boxes with a bunch of other playable cards they weren't yeah, they, so anywhere. they weren't ordered anywhere. That no, no, so it would take yeah. a long time to go through. Or you would just remember, be like, 
this card's in the green deck box. This is where I put that. Yeah, it's it's one of those crazy <laughs> like organization very good cards. curating system. But, but well, whatever. there's no curating system that works when you reach a certain like yeah. threshold of number of cards. It's, yeah, it's especially if you're like making different decks often, or like people are you're borrowing people cards and stuff, and then you're like taking it back from them, and like you're slapping it in a deck box before you leave. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah. it. All right. Uh, next bit of news is uh, involving some players. Most notably, Life Coach um, is officially leaving G2, which uh, is a big deal given that G2 has um, been one of the top teams in professional Hearthstone for a while now. I mean, basically ever since uh, Life Coach, Tice, and RDU were you know been together as a unit, I, I would say that you know they've been one of the best teams. And uh, now you know losing Life Coach essentially is like losing. I would say the manager of the group. The I mean, he's obviously one of the play, a player too and a top player. But I think out of the three of them, he was more the organizer, manager, coach, <laughs> with, with lack of a better word, than um, the other two. So big hit to G. What do you mean? Uh, what, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean? Like uh, by? I don't know. I think he. he I, I think he was probably very. Uh, he's probably the one that was very adamant about doing and you're just practicing a lot you know maybe getting their practices together and things like that. okay i mean sure. not, not like managers like scheduling yeah. flights or anything because yeah, like, like lothar, lothar does definitely all the manager lothar does all know? that stuff but i'm talking about yeah. like life coach being you know that kind of crazy motivated just you know that guy um, i mean it's interesting like i don't know exactly how their team dynamic works but i know that i know a little bit and i know that like rdu practices with other people i know like life yeah. coach practices with other people like I know he t- he practices like time and time with Tice. Like depends on the tournament. Like he'll pr- he'll prep with Tice, um, but I think that they actually all like practice with separate people. Okay. Um, yeah. They, they used do. to practice together like uh, way back in the day. Yeah. But Arnie just has a different play style, honestly, than the, the other two. So it's kind of like you just do what works for you, and you find people that you know um, mm-hmm. fill that type of role, I guess. And sometimes it's also personality as to match. Like the way RDU communicates is not necessarily the way that Tyus and Life Coach communicate. And so it leads to probably like the pacing of the discussions might not be the RDU stays. It's probably a lot slower and, uh, you know, more paced mm-hmm. on Life Coach than Tyus' side. Anyway, yeah. you know, he's gone from G2 and that kind of took people off guard, right? A lot of people were surprised by that as it happened and it's interesting that it was in the wake of course of the Gwen tournament that he finished first place at and um, people thought well that's it you know G2 just doesn't like Gwent they don't want to support Gwen they think Gwen's not in esports and they said openly that that was not the reason why Life Coach and them ended up splitting so it has nothing to do with Gwen specifically I mean he was signed for Hearthstone um, so granted that was the initial reason why he was signed on but uh, him and G2 splitting aren't necessarily tied to the, mm. the, the game he wants to play because they might invest in games in the future. I mean, I'd step out and speculate, but I'd say that if Life Coach left G2, it's more likely that he wants to do something on his own um, that may sure. have more of an impact within the Gwent scene. Sure. That's yeah, possible. I see that. The kind of person he is. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, but regardless of whatever it is, this is just the next step, maybe more of a final step, even though he's still playing global games of, you know, just exiting the Hearthstone community. And, uh, you know, this isn't anything that's surprising given that, you know, we've, we've already seen the, the move towards Gwent for life coach and, um, you know, I guess losing life coach, you know, from the Hearthstone community. We haven't really talked about that that much on the show yet. 
Um, what do you guys think? I mean, thoughts on that just generally and does it have any impact? I mean, it's a huge deal to me personally. Um, Life coach is definitely one of the like iconic players for me within Hearthstone's competitive scene. He's definitely one of the players that I looked up to, not just from like a Hearthstone standpoint, but from a life standpoint. Um, uh, to give an example, if you talk to like JJ, obviously, but Sifka, lesser known, um, also a huge life coach fan. Sifka played games for. The majority of his life, you know, he played chess, then he played Magic the Gathering at high level. And he, I don't know if it was in an interview or what it was, but he had said um, that Life Coach was, like, the biggest, had, like, one of the biggest influences on his life and, like, his perspective and stuff and how it made him, like, a better person, like, knowing Life Coach. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, like, uh, and I didn't even know him, like, nearly as well as Sifka, right? Mm-hmm. So... Just for me, it's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, he's somebody who has streamed more actually at the end of his career than in the middle. At the, uh, but he streamed a lot at the beginning too. If anybody remembers when he was just shirtless in the Cayman Islands, <laughs> sunshine, just jamming, just yeah. jamming some Hearthstone, like just playing Highlock and talking to people and just doing well. And that's actually when I first started watching him, and it's just—he's been a constant throughout the entire time, and his personality. Uh, he became a little bit more open, maybe, but he never changed how he played the game. It was always the same analytical approach, and it was always consistent how he approached practice and stuff. So, yeah, the the work ethic was admirable all the way through. Yeah, Noxious, what do you think, man? Um, I mean, he's kind of an archetype uh, of an individual. I think if is I had to control or is he acro or what is, he? <laughs> but that, that's kind of no, but like we're laughing about that, but you know, there are these people you come across occasionally. They're very well-rounded that are very, not necessarily very well-rounded, but that, you know, over their, the course of their lives, they've developed enough self-awareness to, to know what they want out of life, what they, um, what they will tolerate, what they will not tolerate. They have their, their limits. They understand them. They know themselves and they're not going to compromise necessarily if they know that that's going to be, to them unacceptable and foster yeah you know foster issues right like unspoken issues he is someone who simply come out with the problem and assume or at least uh, you know give you the benefit and this is a good one of assuming that you're mature enough to discuss problems between you and him and that is something that is kind of rare you know people just willing to be you know just honest about everything and i think as a as an individual he's definitely uh, an archetype that Everybody should, to a certain extent, you know, look up to. It's not mm-hmm. everything about life coach you should, you know, envision to become. But a lot of the traits of personality he's developed are historically things that people strive for. And in that regard, it, you know, is the reason why a lot of people look up to him, as you mentioned earlier, is like the, the coach of G2, the guy who kind of took RDU and Tyson made them grow a little bit as individuals. And I think that's just a trend. You know, he, he doesn't just interact with you. Um, if you interact enough with him on a surface matter, and yeah, it's a it's a loss for Hearthstone. But at the end of the day, um, I see no reason why he's not gonna stick around if he wants to keep getting involved. You know, there might be a time where he just comes back and does yeah, other stuff right. with Hearthstone than compete. It's a it's a very good community, regardless of whether or not you think the game is worth playing competitively. Yeah, I mean, this whole like 
farewell life coach thing is probably right. Blown it, to an it's extent. overblown. I mean, That's yeah, the point. It, I don't know. It's, I, it's like when you turned on Twitch TV, you could be a Hearthstone player who's looking for competitive yep. knowledge, who's looking for somebody who dedicates themselves thoroughly day in and day out in a very specific mm-hmm. manner. And you could go to his stream, but you can't do that anymore because honestly, there's no one else that's doing what he's doing. Um, period. Yeah. There's just no one with that level of intensity that you can watch. And his chat was heavily moderated. You know, there's a lot of steps that go into making the ecosystem in which life coach streams uh, happen. And I don't think it can happen again. And it's like Noxious said, like he commented on a bunch of the personal characteristics, but life coach was also in a unique because he could articulate himself well while having all those traits, which is yeah. he also rare. And he's in a position where he doesn't have to worry about um, finances, which yeah. allows him a lot of liberty. And in many fronts, like he would advise people not to sub to him, you know, like, I don't need, don't sub to me. Like, mm. I'm just here to, to teach you. And uh, not everyone has yeah. that luxury and just not even, it's just, it's just hard to recreate that what he yeah. brought. Yeah. I mean, that environment that you're talking about. Stone. Yeah. And I mean, w- w- definitely one of the things about Life Coach that, um, you know, that, that's made impression on me just just these years. I didn't really know Life Coach that well. I mean, I've obviously met him in person and talked to him a bit, but not nearly as well as you guys and just a lot of the other players have gotten you know a chance to real spend real time with him. But the one thing I I did notice as more of an acquaintance is that you know that there are very few, if not any, people in the Hearthstone community that are so passionate about the community. You know what I mean? And whether the passion is you know, can sometimes be conflicting with, you know, Blizzard or some of the rest of the community, especially when it comes to the competitive side of things. Um, he's re- unrelenting. You know, and that's one of the things that I, I like about him, too, is just that, you know, he believes in this and he'll stick to those beliefs. He'll leave Hearthstone, you know, if things don't change and he really feels something. And he, you know, he'll follow up on his words like that. So his passion is always something that, you know, I, I really loved about him. And even my first memory of, of Life Coach or even doing something with Life, Life Coach was was one of generosity too, where he, um, you know, it was very, very early on back when he was probably dancing in the Cayman Islands and things like that. Um, and I think he was just starting to become known, you know, with Sunshine Hunter. And it, it, was, it was like right around that time. And he had won a couple tournaments, a couple smaller tournaments, got up, I don't know, maybe two or 3,000. And, you know, like we mentioned, he, he doesn't really need money. So, um, you know, he just kind of, at the time, he didn't have really access to organizing a tournament. So he just reached out to me and just said if I would organize it, you know, just Sunshine Open, right? And he was just like fun the prize pool. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's really, really cool of you. So we ended up doing that. And, um, you know, just that whole experience, you know, he's just like, was pretty hands off on it. He's just like, yeah, dude, I trust you. Just, just do it. And, you know, like here, here's like $3,000 or whatever. and Just do it. You know, so, um, you know, he's always been like that. I think generally with the community, whether it, it, it came to, you know, things like the tournament that he's been doing, throwing a cards or even just time, you know, just the time he spends. Like JJ has been spending how much time with him, you know, just in the last, you know, half year. Or That's year. like an apprenticeship. Enough to yeah, become yeah. life coach. You've yeah. seen, like, if you've seen his mannerisms, <laughs> JJ coach. went from a perfectly sane individual <laughs> to someone who'll look at the screen and go, why? Colin, I know. Colin JJ perfectly <laughs> sane. I'm exaggerating because I've been teammates yeah. with him long enough to know that his salt has always been I mean, oh, no but he substituted right. that for just a little bit silliness. It's a role model for him, clearly. Like, mm-hmm. I did I don't play the volume in Hearthstone. 
but when I used to play in calls with JJ like a year and a half ago, I learned all of the card noises because he just yeah. makes them while he plays. <laughs> like, like I've never played with volume. I didn't know any of the intro sounds or anything. But then when I started playing with him, he'd keep making them. And there was like oh one God. that was like, it, I wasn't sure if it was an intro or not. I just thought it wasn't. And then I'd be like, why do you always say that? And he'd be like, oh, that's the intro. Oh, you know what it was? It was Mysterious Challenger for like the first week. <laughs> Stop he kept saying that. And I was like, I was like, where do you even come up with this stuff? Oh, am I? And then I realized uh, what it was. And then I was like, oh my gosh. But yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Life coach just um he's just genuine. Uh, yeah. he's just, you don't have to question yeah. his his yeah. how genuine there's only he is a few as a viewer who just tunes in instantly, you can tell. And yeah. that's rare. Yeah. Well, uh hopefully, you know, hopefully he's still doing some things from here, you know, like maybe still doing the uh throwing of cards in Hearthstone or something. Hopefully he'll still be at least affiliated with Hearthstone in some way. Um, but definitely gonna be going, I think, balls out into Gwent. So, you know, if you're looking for uh, if you're just looking for a life coach, just go check out Gwent. <laughs> you know, it's definitely a a good game too. Um, all right, next bit of news: is Strife Koro, uh, just at least another player, ends up is leaving Cloud Nine or has left Cloud Nine and is joining Phoenix One. So yet another player leaving Cloud Nine. Um, are they officially like out no. of players now, or Tide's still no. part of? They have uh, they have Calento, and I think Calento. Okay. Is Tide still part of it? I can't remember anymore. I, I, no, no, Tide's not part of it. He's just a roommate of Strife Crow. Um, is this a Kalento? Is, um, I mean, Kalento's I, contract's probably almost up, too. Isn't there some, like... Wasn't there, like, a forcing joke or something about Cloud9? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, he uploaded a video. It's like, Cloud9 forcing plays. And then Kipler replied to the tweet and said that Force and Chase Strife Crow out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with that. What? Okay. Uh, okay. I think that well. they. I think okay. that they just have Calento now, and well, they still have ties and and. Tides, oh, they do have ties. Okay, Di- sounds right. Dione, I, mean, I think. And that's Dahoney. Dahoney. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, whatever is yeah, uh, Dahoney. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's a, like old. Okay, so no idea. He's a Korean player. Um, he did well at one of the prelims. He went to, I believe, he went to BlizzCon last year. Uh, he streams pretty pretty regularly he's uh he's like one of the bigger streamers in korea uh i hear he's like a pretty hard worker too so okay so his cloud nine's not giving up on Hearthstone, i guess so i mean that's that's definitely good good to know that they still uh at least have highly to... unlikely if anything i'd yeah. say they're restructuring okay yeah, like pretty much every esports team ever meaning <laughs> meaning we want to cut costs or we want to spend um, a little bit less maybe they might be trying to look for more of like a competitive uh roster like i know tsm was uh, aiming to do the same thing, and they picked up Cydonia. Um, so yeah. it's just okay. uh, it depends on what you what you value as a team. You know, before it was content, but maybe they think that Hearthstone's going in a way that having a competitive players could be more useful. Uh, okay, so. sounds good. Um, kind of, it's it's kind of crazy that we're in a day now that Strifecrow is not, I guess, a competitive player. <laughs> I mean, I think Strifecrow is a competitive player, um, but he, he, he didn't make prelims. It's not that Strifecrow isn't competitive, but he's good at the game. I've always said this about Strifecrow. I've been um, harsh on him over my over my career um, at some points, but uh, I always kept pretty uh, consistent viewpoint that if Strifecrow wanted to be good, he could be good. Yeah. Like, if he wanted to make prelims, he would make prelims. Like, I was with him at DreamHack Austin um, for... The, the night after the event was over at like two in the morning, he came to the diner to eat with us. 
and this is right after it was after three actually because the the season was over, and he could have sat top one hundred and qualified for prelims, but he got bored, so he played, and he ended up <laughs> finishing like, like one twenty, and now he didn't that make he didn't like make him. prelims, and he's like, I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which which is you know that's what not his priorities. It's not his priorities. So yeah. that's just that's just how it's going to be. Like he enjoys streaming or whatever, enjoys the, the game in a different manner. So, right. but if he wants to be a top player, he can be a top player, mm-hmm. uh, especially in this this meta. Um, we've seen in this players, environment. Yeah, we've yeah. seen players similar to him doing very well. Um, and I actually oh, this predicted this when the him. set came out. Yeah, um, that like this is a this is the kind of set where you see someone like Calento. And Strife Crow doing very well because they play the game in a manner they prefer. I know play styles are meme, but they prefer the play style this kind of meta um, brings, I guess, as opposed to like a combo meta that involves a deck like Patron or even a deck like Mally Druid. Uh, yeah, they, they they don't necessarily like to play those decks as much, so they don't play as well when those decks are the top decks in the meta. Right. Okay. Uh, I guess the next bit of news is that the EU prelims are going to be coming up this weekend and um for the other regions uh in a in an NA player like yourself the rat this is kind of the wait and see moment right you guys are just kind of like um i think you guys are just waiting to see what kind of decks come out so that you can start your ideas for what you're going to be doing you know for your prelims kind of fill us in yeah. on that yeah i mean everyone approaches it differently i'm kind of a wait and see type of person um i don't really stick to one deck or archetype, uh, despite the patron memes. Uh, I've, I've usually branched out and played multiple decks. I think in Hearthstone, you need to be able to do that to be successful anyways. Mm-hmm. So I've always been ready to like switch decks and learn a new deck at any point. Or, you know, like, uh, I don't really have an affinity for any type of, uh, I guess, deck in Hearthstone. But a lot of players do. So they might not necessarily be on the wait and see, or they might be on the wait and see, but in reality, it's more like, well, I'm going to play aggro no matter what anyways. It's like Green Sheep, for instance. He's going to bring aggro decks. If they don't work, he's going to find a way that they work best, and he's going to play that because that's what he plays. He's not going to bring control decks because he's never played control decks. Sure, yeah. And uh, he's, it feels like a reinvestment of time into learning a, a skill that he never learned because in reality, control decks do play a lot different than aggro decks in Hearthstone. So... Um, it's definitely interesting, uh, and there's already breakdowns of the EU playoff deck list. Uh, Saiyan did a stream, Muzzy did a stream. I've uh, got a document where I'm trying to figure out uh, what the spread is exactly or what the best lineup would have been if I would have brought it to this tournament. Mm-hmm. Usually the EU and the NA tournaments are similar. There was one time where, if you remember DreamHack Austin last year, Chalky won with Nazoth Paladin and Nazoth Priest, and then Goodness. people brought that to the <laughs> EU playoffs, but everyone in NA already knew that those decks weren't actually good. Uh, so then we didn't bring those decks when we went to playoffs. But other than that, it's usually a very similar field. Um, okay. Historically, if you if you look at both the drives and you compare the the changes. So here's um here's a question. You know, since you're gonna be looking at that, uh, I I was talking with Firebat yesterday, and we basically discussed the likelihood of a kind of a meta snapshot what it would look like. And the assumption is that anybody who brings control is gonna get completely shat on by <laughs> hyper aggro decks, and that the NA prelims will be filled with aggro decks as a result of how dominant they'll be in EU. Do you think that's gonna be the case, or? No. Okay. 
I don't think that hyper aggro decks. I don't think that hyper aggro decks have a huge advantage against control. Um, it's interesting because common card game knowledge would tell you that mid range beats aggro, and you know, and then uh, like slightly outvalues it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily the case in Hearthstone always because of how tempo works, and you can choose the board trades. Um, Mostly the aggro decks tend to have a little bit of an advantage, but we've seen some players in the EU prelims go with a deck that's not very common at all. It's only a few people, but it's like a mid-range druid where you play. The, it's like what? even it's like a step <laughs> further really? than what Chalky and Amnesia played at um, DreamHack Austin, where they included yeah. Druid of the Claw. It's like a step further, and it's even more mid-range than that um, to try to like edge the the matchup out against the aggro decks, but. Control decks, I mean, they still are pretty good against aggro. Like they can have a Doomsayer, um, mm-hmm. etc. Also, if there's ever going to be a time where you're going to see control decks being played optimally, it's probably in specifically the EU prelims. They have a lot of players there who who tend to play uh, control decks. So if there's a chance that control decks are going to edge out the rest of the lineups, I think it's definitely in EU. Um, I also think a lot of the lineups in general are just close. Uh, mm-hmm. Like even the aggro versus the mid range versus the control versus the combo, I think they're all like pretty uh, similar matchups. I think it actually comes down to how you play. Um, that's that's good. I mean, it's good that there's variety. Otherwise, to some extent. Otherwise, people yeah, are going to be bringing the same lineups and banning the same thing, and that that gets boring to watch. Yeah, a lot of people have a complaint about Quest Rogue because um, they don't the decks like not interactive. And uh, well, I agree that Quest Rogue is. Not the best. I think it's kind of stupid, but it also has a place in defining the meta, yeah, and that it keeps a balance between aggro and control decks. And if you didn't have it, I think you'd actually see just how powerful control decks control are. Control is yeah, yeah for and sure. Man. Would just that would just super be... long games. Like, and this is the kind of games. this is the kind of area where like I think it's interesting because um, I think the gold series had one extra deck, if I remember correctly, or not the gold series, the E versus CN. They had to have one extra class. Yeah, like it was a four five classes. Which is a huge deal um, in determining what decks to bring, and when you can take Rogue out of the equation, your control decks can become a lot better versus aggro. So yeah, I, I wouldn't expect to see um, yeah. control just get dominated by by aggro decks. Yeah, that's uh, kind of what I was thinking too. I mean, it's a lot different when you can ban a particular class, <laughs> and banning a Rogue is enormous <laughs> in terms of of making the viability of control. So that's good. I actually like that. I mean, there's going to be definitely a lot of variety. I, I, it would be surprising to see full lineups of just control, you know, and full lineups of just uh, aggro. I mean, it definitely exists. There's definitely some full, I know there full are. lineups and some full aggro. There's actually a lot of full aggro lineups. Have we seen one win, though? I mean, I feel like it's still a little bit, you know, just a little bit of hedging, a little, tiny bit of hedging. Uh, like well, I think the, the aggro player in EU versus CN ended up losing the finals, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, I mean, that's like one tournament result, and the guy still made the finals with aggro, and he was also the only player, one of the only players who brought quad aggro, if not the only player that brought quad aggro on the top eight, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, I think aggro's definitely... Good. Uh, I, it's just if you want to beat aggro as a control, you can accomplish that in this yeah, meta. Is what you I'm can. Saying. You can totally do so that. So if they don't, if they decide to tech for that, then that's not going to be a problem. But aggro, aggro always gets there. There's at least going to be one aggro on the top eight. Like given the tournament <laughs> spread, you yeah. have an expected, expected amount of decks that do expected lineups 
uh, that do well, like it's going to be like an aggro. There's going to be a control, like regardless of what was best to bring to the tournament, because that's just how, on average, there's going to be, you know. Sure. So uh, I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, but I think that lineup does, as much as I said that play matters, uh, which I think it does, I think that bringing the right lineup is also pretty important. Um, of course. I like Silence Priest in the meta. I can say that. Seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. I'm yeah. not bringing Silence Priest. I, I think that you know deck just, it's so, uh, it's so it solid. Its, it God comes damn. back. It, like, it'll, it'll it, like, you know, obviously it was super strong in the beginning, then it disappeared for a while, and now it's coming back again. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Um, but we talked about, we talked about this priest how many weeks ago, Rad? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't play yeah, Silence like, Priest. I actually don't play Silence Priest. I'm playing like a different priest deck that's like doesn't run any of the silent stuff and it's just more anti aggro, so it's got like Portal and Shellraiser in it. Um, yeah, that's what I won my open cup with this month. I'm not sure if it's actually better than Silence Priest for in general. I think it's better versus aggro. It's like I, last week I said it's like a spectrum, you know? Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know if I'll go with that deck list. I don't think I will. Uh, I think I will end up just going with Silence Priest. I think it's stronger overall. But if you watch like the test matches between people like the that are play testing, you'll see like the aggro lineup sometimes ban silence priests and it's like well if aggro's banning silence priests and control decks or control lineups are banning, banning silence priests like why bring it <laughs> well no it's like yeah that's just the best deck then like oh, you, my yeah, aggro opponents need to ban it and my control opponents need to ban it it's like but the control needs to ban the rogue right because the rogues only get there so it's like if your silence priest is good against control and you still see some aggro decks banning it, it's like, isn't that deck just really good? So stuff like that is what you really get to see on EU prelims. Cause you get to see every, like if you wanted to, you could catalog every single game that's played cause it's played on Battlefy. Yeah. And you could even catalog every single ban. And then you could see like how effective um, silence priest was against aggro and basically like the most real situation you're going to get to what you're going to be doing. Yeah. Um, well, so that's the kind of data that you get from uh, seeing the EU prelims like unfold, I guess. There's definitely some control decks that do well against Silence Priest, but I think there's a lot of them that are weak against it. So, kind of interesting. And Priest, uh, I saw how Priest did in the EU China tournament. It didn't do too well in that tournament. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting if it, it makes um, at least get has some success in the EU prelims. But excited to see it though. That'd be definitely great. Um, but that's going to be this weekend, guys. And I think the NA one is last, right? No, anyways, wait. Is anyone next week? Next week. Anyways, next, next week, yeah. and the APAC or the the Asian one is is after that. So um, it's going to be back to back. It's going to be a pretty busy month here uh, with global games and HTT prelims at the same time. Pretty crazy, but lots of Hearthstone for everybody to watch, which is always great. Um, before we move on, I, I want to talk about or just give a shout out to just all the iTunes folks that listen to Value Town at, on their work rides or their their uh, I don't know it's on their iPads or I, or their iPhones. And for those of you that didn't know, we are available there as well as SoundCloud and Google Podcasts. So um, yeah, just check us out and kind of look for us there if you can. And if you do enjoy the show, leave us a five star review because it helps folks find us whenever they're searching for Hearthstone. Uh, in the search box. But do want to give a shout-out to Boo Dandley, who, who was the last person to leave a nice note and a five-star review. Thanks so much for that. And um, 
you know, it doesn't cost any money too. If you want to help us and you just uh, help the show, that's the, probably the best way to do it. But if you do want to throw some money our way, <laughs> we do have a Patreon that's also available that you can go to patreon.com slash value town. And we've got a lot of great supporters. These, these folks make the show happen each and every week and really are the you know foundation of the show. So big thanks to our legend producer, as always, Mike T. And a few others, Radan, uh, Davin P, Havoc, Vincent G, Julius K, Jacob P, Brendan T, Blake T, Jeff B, and Eric C. Thanks so much for doing that, and always, always appreciate that. We're still... Still under the milestone. It's it's so funny. We get like so close, and then you know it kind of comes back down a little bit. But it's we'll get there. We'll get there definitely soon. Um, it's like a sine wave of salt is. and giggles. Well, what's cool is that we're getting more and more patrons. It's just the the total yeah. just doesn't quite reach that spot. So yeah, um, and so that that's really cool. As long as the ah, good stuff, the, man. The more people, the better. Even yeah. if the, the the pledge is small, yeah, it's just yeah. great to have more people supporting the show. Absolutely, and we've been doing deck of the week, guys, on Mondays at one. Just we do like this mini show for for uh, the patrons, and. Um, We've you know we've done like four we've done five decks so far and this week I wanted to do a shaman deck so that's kind of why for deck talk here uh, kind of brought up uh, or at least brought up maybe a couple of shaman decks some of the decks that we've kind of talked about in the past but I figured kind of bring it up since I've been seeing it a bit more um, whether it's the EU China tournament or it's even on the ladder uh, so the one on the left we got here is, is Stan Sifka's the one that he played it's a elemental J type of mix and. I know we've been kind of like back and forth on this, you know, just like whether this is good or not. Kind of want to get y'all's opinions as to how good the the hybrid is right now. Uh, there's a lot of people who brought a Charmin to EU playoffs. Um, I don't have the document right now in front of me that shows, but um, I actually played a list that was running double Twilight Hammer right at the beginning. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Actually... Sifka's list is two cards off of the list I played the first week already that me and Astro went open with the previous month. Three cards off, my bad. Nice. Um, basically, the deck is good versus aggro because of the, all the early game tools it has. It also has a lot of game against control. It's the kind of deck that's just, you know, you you feel good when you play it, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. Like, you feel good when you win with it. You feel like you have a chance. I guess against uh, any any everything, archetype, any everything. any other deck, you know, yeah. it which is a well. huge deal for a lot of people. So yeah, it looks like it curves super well. Like you know, the distribution. That's kind of what it does. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at the way that it's built, it's it's aiming to to blow people out with that with that lust, right? Yeah. Um, which is like bloodlust is kind of one of those cards that it it, it sometimes fades fades in and out of people's deck list but then when you you find one of these gems of a deck where you can just what's firefly you know the firefly is just so good at flame tongue totem uh, you've got the jade claws it's really good with it when you can solidify a board state very naturally as shaman which is usually what they can do uh, and you have the ability to just sprinkle in a bloodlust because you're not encountering anything too quick for you to handle that just gives you a, a win condition against control in a single slot and that's a huge deal uh, just in and of itself you can just count on that at some point to give yeah. you the game i mean you can always just run just play calamus and then play the sure. invocation that fills the yeah. board too and you uh, always have a shot you always have a shot definitely there's other there's other aspects that go well with bloodlust in this list too and i had pulled up uh like stonehill defenders mm-hmm. and hot spring guardians have high health totals so they usually stick on the board versus like a war axe and stuff you know obviously you have cool and you have ways to trade up there but 
just high health minions that just stick around versus control, um, give you extra value with bloodlust. And those cards are just naturally good against aggro because they have taunt and high health totals. And similar to a way that um, uh, Druid used to function back in the day is that if you have high health totals and no matter what your tax is, you find ways to like get the board cleared up usually because you have swipe that's a, a good AOE. Right. And yeah. you have these ways to manipulate the board health to make swing turns and or you can stall until you swipe and clears the board, you know, and you take minimal face damage. And Shaman's very much like that with Maelstrom Portal um, or Devolve and something. But if you see his list, he's not even playing like any lightning storms. Which is like pretty telling. Um, like people have always thought that that card is like quite bad, and if you ever in a position where you can afford not to run it, you don't want to. Like overall, the card's not great. Like it works when you use it. You know, it clears a board. Like it was very good in the in the the mid range shaman meta because of the the nature of the of that matchup, mid range mm-hmm. shaman versus mid range shaman. But overall, like, the card itself is like over costed. Yeah. Like the cost you pay to for its effect is is too high. Where a card like Maelstrom Portal is incredibly under costed. For the effect <laughs> it gives you, yeah. Uh, so having like low attack on your minions, like Stonehill Defender and Hot Spring, which would usually be poor in like situations where you need to trade, is mitigated by having cards like Jade Claws, cards like Maelstrom Portal, mm-hmm. um, that allow you to kind of trade up for free. It's amazing how effective Stonehill Defender is against aggro. I like. There's many many times we're throwing it up. Just. It feels pretty good. It's like you're, yeah. A lot of times they have to swing twice at the thing to get rid of it, you know. Because the weapon. But th- that's so generally... the thing, though. It's like it's really down to like Stonehill Defender on its own would not be good enough, I think, to be played if oh, you don't of have. Not. Of course not. Yeah. The I mean... flame tongue, right? Like to, to yeah. have the ability to trade up with it. Yeah, flame tongue is another good example. Well, Thank you. Use of the high health. Also, yep. I think the power of the you know like where the power turns come are, are after that turn three, right? So if you can just bridge yourself to those four, five, six, you know, and up turns, then the shaman's you know stabilized completely against uh, against aggro. So um, yeah, definitely check this deck out, guys. This might be the deck that we we play for deck of the week. I think this will be the deck we play with. I have to survey folks see if they want to play the evolved one or not. But out of the two, this one's definitely better because the other one here I have is an evolved deck and. It's not that much different than, honestly, an Evolved deck I've talked about in the past. But um, I'd say maybe the thing to talk about is the uh, Stonehill Defender, like, in this deck. Um, you know, it is very similar. It kind of operates very similar to how it, it does in the Elemental deck. Uh, and just kind of gives you a bit more value. But is it really necessary in this deck, in your opinion? I mean, it just fits the mold. Yeah, it just so. works. Because like the the thing is that Stonehill Defender is a garbage three drop, and if you can evolve it, it just becomes better. And if it gets you a thing from below, then that's just what you want to get. Like if you don't, if you're not looking for those, you know, Earth Elementals and whatnot, um, I think it's a perfectly fine card. And it comes down again back to the fact that its body itself is useless. If you can turn that into something good, then all the better. So it's not really the the discovery that's super impactful here. Is the fact yeah. that. It draws you a card and is a really decent evolved target at the end of the day. So. Yeah, I mean, it can get I mean, you Jade, too. It has right? a big butt. means it just doesn't die. It doesn't die, yeah, exactly. To like easy the, the following turn. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like yeah. Evolved Shaman. I think the problem with Fintotem is just like, oh, we might so not bad. see it be good. And this, like, at the end of the day, like we might play this this meta for months, and problem with Fintotem might not find a spot, but that card is I love that card. Very good. <laughs> that card is so sick, but uh, just can't yeah, quite... As it turns out, a card that Paladin Hero powers every turn at the end of the turn is good. You think so? 
and it yeah. helps helps with buffing some other minion sometimes and and uh, maybe even completing a quest of one of these days. I mean, it's two mana gain four health, crazy. set up a board. It's just <laughs> insane. Um, and if they don't deal with it, you just sometimes snowball out of control ridiculously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stonehill Defender is definitely good in this deck with the yeah. Bloodlust and stuff as well. But like, cool. it's actually more likely that Stonehill Defender is worse than other decks. Uh, and Dreamhack Austin, Shoop didn't even play Stonehill Defender in his control paladin deck. Um, just for the sake of uh, streamlining the the pros- the the deck, so that it can actually be efficient uh, against um, other control decks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Less about having the access to the value, and more about just playing um, the best card you can every turn, I guess, so yeah. to speak. Um, and that, and that kind of goes back to what I said about uh, Paladin. Like, yeah, they have Consecration, which helps you trade up. But Stonehill Defender, the way the one attack works is sometimes Consecration just isn't enough. Uh, and it's just not as effective, I guess, at using Stonehill's body as, like, a Shaman deck is. Yeah. Um, with, like, the Flame Tongues and stuff, which is interesting because Stonehill Defender obviously grabs nuts targets in Paladin. And I think it's still really good in Paladin. Like, I, I'd play about it. Players are taking it out, so. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, Shaman, obviously, is kind of come down a little bit you know maybe from where it started or I man actually it started kind of low and then it kind of had a rise and then maybe i think it's actually rising if anything yeah i think it's the, kind of on the rise again now yeah, yeah. so i uh, figured it'd be a good time and it's been performing pretty well on the ladder too from what i've seen from stats uh expect that guys expect some kind of shaman for a deck of the week and we'll, we'll definitely hop on to it um, okay, uh, next thing is I just want to remind you guys again that this episode is sponsored by Game Coach, and Game Coach is a coaching site. If you're looking to improve in Hearthstone, they've got Hearthstone coaches like George C over there, and um, they're ready. They're ready to get some students. So uh, here's a quick video that kind of shows you a little bit more about Game Coach. Here at Game Coach, we have a variety of games such as League of Legends, Hearthstone, CS:GO. Overwatch, and many more to come in the future. When you have picked a game of your liking, simply choose one of our fantastic coaches by clicking on his or her profile. Here you will see background information in their calendar availability for a lesson. Starting a lesson is super easy. Coordinate with your coach and meet up on Discord, and then jump on a voice channel and begin your journey to becoming legendary. Game Coach. Just drew it. All right, <laughs> that just druid part always gets me every time I watch the video, and I, I see that just druid part. It's it's like just do it, you know, for for Nike, but it's just druid for for our stone. Um, but yeah, check that out, guys. And the Value Town discount code works; it gives you ten percent off. So uh, yeah, sign up today if you want to get better. All right, next up we've got a. Uh, Big point of discussion, at least for the last day or two, uh, that's involving Crypt's last video. You know, when Crypt makes a, I think, some critiques of Hearthstone, uh, it's, you know, always makes a big splash in terms of the community, in terms of Reddit, and there's, it always spawns a lot of discussions. So, um, you know, the ripples come all, come over here to Value Talent too, so I figured we would, we would talk about it a little bit. So, um, so it, it was titled, you know, Problems with Hearthstone right now. Um, and it's one of those things where I feel like after a certain amount of time with an expansion, we start to see you know these type of critiques start to pop up, no matter how happy you are with an expansion. And that's kind of where we are right now. So the, so the first thing I think um, Crip talked about was uh, just RNG 
generally, you know, and RNG has always been an aspect of Hearthstone. We've talked about it ad nauseum, just diff- whether it's Ragnaros or, you know, whatever it is, right? It, it's been an issue or just something that, that we've been talking about, and it's, been a, it's a big part of Hearthstone. So I guess my question to you guys is, is the RNG different right now? You know, is it like, is it just as problematic as it was, has been in the past? Um, well, the long and short of it, you want the long or the short of it? <laughs> like I've got, I mean, so my, I, I'll try to be concise and points. stop me at any point. Okay. If okay. you, if you, if I'm rambling, like I usually am. The criticism of RNG goes as far back as Sylvanas and Rag in the closed beta or whatever. Like we had some of that. Knife Juggler was a piece of shit design. Uh, it's still a piece of shit design. It's just not played. We have a bunch of those cards historically that were problematic RNG pieces. And then, <clears throat> and then we discovered Discover in League of Explorers. <laughs> we came upon a mechanic that could be random and create right. a sense of agency in the player and test their skill quote-unquote which is you know yes one of the arguments but truly it's mostly for the fun of discovering cars that aren't in your deck it's really the fun aspect of it the digital medium meets uh randomness meets agency it's like perfect for a mechanic in hearthstone in fact it's so good that they model adapt around it they said why come up with something else let's just limit the amount of stuff you can discover it's literally the same mechanic except now it's stats and i'm not saying this as a negative thing i think it's a super positive thing i think discover is such a good mechanic for hearthstone that is the only reason why we saw inspire come up in dgt and blizzard said fuck off we're never printing another inspire card again and when discover was created people loved it so much they went back and made one for every set they made like two in the following set two or three in the next one and now we've had like seven in the current set and all of them have very different applications so discover as a mechanic much like adapt is rng done probably the best that hearthstone's had it before um now the thing about discover is that you have cars like jeweled scarab um that they're very specific you discover a three cost card uh, or a card like Dark Peddler that discovers, on average, PO or Soulfire. You expect it to come out that way. When you have a very narrow set of cards you can discover from, those cards, I think, are cool. You know, they, they make sense. But here's one card that bothered me back when Discover came up, and that was back in League of Explorers, Ethereal Conjurer. Five mana, six, three. Discover a spell. What's a spell? It's a secret. It's a stall. It's a self-healing. It's eyes block. It's face damage. It's a board clear. You don't fucking know what it's going to be. So the issue that people really run into right now is, yes, my opponent's playing a bunch of stuff that's not in their deck. You know, Primordial Glyph for discovering cards, Babbling Book for creating cards. You know, all these things are true. But to a large extent, and Swashburglar, and, and those are kind of bad cards. They're not discovered. They're just random generation. Um, but the... The general issue, I think, with this is there's a lot of cars that exist right now that don't discover specific things. Stonehill Defender is another story. I think that card is okay. It's very powerful, but it's not um, going to pit you against something you never could have anticipated. No, yeah. you expect three Tyrions. Uh, you're ready to double Devolve and Hex. Like You know that's going to be coming up. But it's when the mage just gets you know two babbling books, two primordial glyph, and then just jams an extra cabal carrier in there, and you just die to double, triple pyro that weren't there. That feels, uh, that feels bad. So I understand the criticisms about RNG, but if you think Hearthstone currently has too much bad RNG, I think Hearthstone is not the game for you, and you should leave. We've never had such deck diversity ever. Period. Ever. 
Uh, classes are so well represented aside from Warlock across the board. You can climb to Legend with anything, and that is despite the presence of randomness. Um, Hearthstone will always have RNG because without it, the aggressor's advantage and the way tempo is set up with the player initiating aggression having the advantage creates very, very dull matches. I go back to the days of Grim Patron, Combo Druid, and Handlock to exemplify what a game without any RNG looks like. And all I can think of is community saying, this game fucking sucks, man. Like, it's always the same shit. And the truth is, you may be right in that it's always the same stuff, but it's very difficult to create an environment where you have eight decks that are on the same power level that have zero variance involved in them. And I am yeah. personally like at the point now in Hearthstone where I could not ask for more. I think I am wow. finally, when we've reached a point in Hearthstone. Wow. I mean, I could ask for tournament mode and everything, yeah. but as far as card design goes, I am finally satisfied. Like, I'm, I'm looking at Hearthstone, wow. and there's, like, there's a few outliers here and there, but nothing that makes me go, fuck this game, I, I'll quit it. Yeah. Um, I, I think Hearthstone's fantastic, and the RNG that's existing okay. is right. too much. All right, all right. Yeah. Rat. It might be because Noxious has been I'm playing uh, too much Gwent, you know? He hasn't played <laughs> enough Hearthstone. Um, I don't play any arena. Uh, like straight up, I don't do it. I don't play arena ever. Yeah, me neither. So really. I don't know about his complaints about the arena being random. Um, well, I, I've heard from some. Do you you play arena? Uh, I don't. I don't play much arena either. But okay. what, I, what I was going to add to it before, I mean, I'll let you get to your point in a second. Is that um, you, you know, with the RNG, one of the comments that he did make was that he just felt like a lot of these RNG cards that you're talking about, like Discover, just tend to skew towards um, a value that's greater than you know just like on the high side of things right yeah so and, i was gonna address that yeah yeah and, and it gets uh, to the point where it's just what you know you're just gonna play these cards and they're just automatically gonna be in your deck type of thing uh, but go ahead okay Ryan. i see yeah. okay i can i can address uh, i'm gonna address that actually yeah. i think that's one of the worst points he makes in the video uh like by far um or a lack of understanding rather uh so i don't i don't play arena um, I don't know how bad it is in arena. The random effects, how how oh, bad powerful. it is. I think I think that powerful. the um, the increase of spells in general in arena has changed a lot for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But from a, I guess like, I don't know, not philosophical, but just an analytical perspective, I can look at the arena rankings and see that Crypt still listed as forty, despite the fact that he streams on no delay, despite the fact that people snipe him, despite the fact that he doesn't necessarily choose the class that's going to get him the most wins every time he enters arena. Um, so as far as him complaining about not being able to win as much, he's winning quite often. He's, he doesn't complain and about he's winning. He's doing pretty well. He's not uh, complaining about winning. He makes it sound like you can't win because the cards are random. Well, he he's um, making it sound like you can't win with certain, you know, like specifically certain classes and when he, when he's talking about arena at least. Uh, he said that a couple of classes yeah. that you can't win with at all. Yeah. Um, definitely, which I I don't, I don't know about, but I'm saying he's doing pretty well for himself in arena. Yeah, I don't I think, think. That's and, I, yeah, that's an And that average is um about a little bit lower but about what it was before. Um, to your point about the random effects being too strong, uh, prior to the set, we saw those random effects existed. Cabal Courier, Babylon Book, they weren't played. Um, now, two things could have happened. Other cards could have gotten worse, or um, the way that the, the cards work favors them, or well, actually a third thing, and that's that the, the random cards they're generating got better. Now, within Mage, without a question, the average Mage card is better. Just straight up. The average Mage yeah. spell is a lot better than it used to be Yeah. Um, in terms of Babbling Book, but that's an easy fix. You just bring out Mage cards that are worse, and then all of a sudden Babbling Book gets a lot worse. Uh, I also think that Babbling Book isn't 
a particularly strong card. Some people actually cut it from the list. Like he said, you play two battling books and everything because it's just strong. But that's actually just not that's accurate. That's not true, yeah. And um, there's yeah. there's a card you want to complain about within the mage class. It's actually just Primordial cool. Glyph. The card's just insane. And it has an element of randomness. And it, it takes it a step further where not only can it give you any card, but it actually reduces the mana cost. So now yeah. you're you're looking at a whole new range that you're not used to dealing with. And on top of that, the card's incredibly efficient. It's it's mathematically good uh, on top of having the element of surprise, on top of having the inability to play around it. Um, even if it saw a small scope of spells that you could discover from, it would still be good because of yeah. the fact like that... The discount is too. crazy. Like Exactly. Yeah, you can argue about the discount totally. So this um, type of thing... Um, makes it a lot better yeah. uh, but it's mostly the mage class that we see this uh well this he way, talked about the, the pal- other he, classes necessarily he talked about some of the other ones too and I, and I think it does revolve around the newer cards that have this kind of discover rng um are in these specific classes that he's talking about you know like paladin for well, instance right well paladin. when you look into paladin i'd, I'd challenge you to uh, I'd ask you what discover are you talking about because i don't think the ivory knight is being complained about by anyone um, Every night, Hydrologist, um, Sony uh, Defenders. Better. Hydrologist has five decisions that you can choose from, and they're all pretty consistent. And I think it allows for an element of play. Um, I think one of the worst discover mechanics is actually discovering poisonous in terms of arena or in state. That is toxic. Uh, Literally, I think no that should definitely not have been an option yeah. available Agreed. to you. Um, Agreed. That's why we see this mid-range Paladin Murloc deck be so effective is that you can't edge it out because they, you can edge it out often, okay, with Primordial Drakes, and I get that. You can clear their board or whatever, but some amount of the time, you won't be able to edge it out because they'll get poisonous. And even if you build your deck to beat that deck, there's still a percentage they're going to get poisonous. And if you play against seven Murloc Paladins in one tournament, it doesn't matter if your deck beats them efficiently. If one of them gets poisonous, and all of a sudden you pick up a second loss and you're not in the top eight anymore. Yeah. Um, as an example, like you could have a good overall percentage, but then you, they hit the poisonous, mm-hmm. they just beat you, which feels bad. Uh, yeah. And I think that has a bigger impact than some of the other. Um, yeah. I'm just saying, just generally, choices. I feel like the new cards skew a little bit more towards specific classes. And that's why it affects arena so much. It doesn't affect standard quite as much because there are a lot of. I mean, we're just talking about RNG cards at this point, right? So. Um, you know, from that standpoint, I think there are only there are just a few of them that are, are benefiting. Like like Warlock. Warlock doesn't benefit from anything, RNG. Right. You know, like, and that that's you know, been it's, historically it's, why the class was so solid. Either. Like aside from I mean, the Kazakus era, um, really I think you know, when Kazakus mattered a ton in the mirror match, we're like, Hey, we got the best potion. Hey, I got it, nailed it, and I win. Like there was never a time really where Warlock, aside from disco, I think disco lock with like the best discards, um, was one of the few random mechanics, but if you look at Miracle Rogue, for instance, in its evolution, like it's not wrong that there's more RNG now than there used to be, right? Like Miracle Rogue now has four RNG cars, double Swashburger, double Hallucination. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's like 13% of their deck now has a, an effect of unpredictability tied to them. And, you know, we had the early Quest Rogue list that ran Swashburglar. If they got the right outcome, he just got screwed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not personally a big fan of Babbling Book and Swashburglar. I do not like those designs very no, much. I mean, we've, talked um, I, yeah, we've talked about them, but the point is, like, yeah. those feel like the, the big offenders of, why even bother playing around I mean, anything? And, you know... I mean, that's definitely true, but those cards are also weak. Like, right, they are. Like, evaluate. They're not, like, he says that they're just strong, so he's put them in and it's obvious, but... 
people don't want to play Swashburglar because it's bad. They've taken it out of Quest Rogue list. Like, it's not just this card that's super powerful. Like, you play it in Miracle because it grabs you with Patches. Patches wasn't in exactly. um, the game. Swashburglar wouldn't see play in Miracle Rogue either. So it's not necessarily that these cards are so powerful. Um, it's just that they happen to... Ex- find a space right now it's a value card and then it becomes yeah it becomes it's but it's not a value card because even it plus the random card isn't worth a card no that's the thing it's it's patches is carrying swashburglar in a nutshell if we had to like put it that way swashburglar is getting carried by patches and like that's a valid criticism that it sucks that we have you know like you want to play patches so what are you forced to do look at one drop pirates hey what's what springs out well small time buccaneer or south sea deck hand or swashburglar which one of these can you play on turn one swashburglar and small time buccaneer i'm not going to play one one that doesn't survive and doesn't give me anything anymore since the nerf so i'm going to be playing swashburglar which is just the logical outcome yeah so the criticism is it sucks that the pirates we're playing are the ones that generate random cards but I don't think the the validity of you know criticizing the the power level of the card itself is is there yeah. yet. Like it's, it's also go go ahead. go ahead. To take a step further, he had a thing recently where he said standards pretty straightforward. You just make a deck and then you net deck I mean, or whatever and you that's play just it. Me. Um, but I mean, he thinks he thinks time and time again we've seen that Crypt thinks that standard is this simple thing. But I mean, it really that's not the case. And the RNG sometimes adds skill as much as people want to believe. Now you can evaluate it at different. Um, differently that people think about it differently like uh, noxious took a, a little bit of a harder stance on discover a lot of people think it's a skillful mechanic i personally am more leaning towards noxious's end where i think that discover the majority of the time is about as equally skillful as a babbling book i think the yeah. discover is sometimes obvious uh, there's obviously decisions that are tough with discover that that come up and, and you know, are tough choices but i think that um, having to make use of a mediocre or uh, average spell that comes off a babbling book is also a pretty skillful um, tasks sometimes. If you look at someone like Kalento, he's very good at getting value out of random uh, random uh, effects that aren't good. Like, that's something that he just happens to be good at. And I think that if you ask Strifecrow, he'd say that's something that he's good at. Um, someone that plays Temple Mage a lot, a- APX Void, uh, you might know of him. He's also somebody who's good at getting, yeah. uh, finding a way to make use of these spells and finding the best way to use them you know it's like an obvious example i could use a shatter and you could be like well it's obvious that you need a um a freeze effect to proc shatter so you need to save your frost bolt but what if you have shatter but you can't actually ever use it so you're not supposed to save your frost bolt you know and then uh you just so you just shatter just goes dead like that's not like it, it creates decisions basically is what i'm saying i think there is some skill in uh, maneuvering these decisions uh properly I guess, um, the, the randomly generated, uh, effects. Yeah. I mean, of course there is, it's, it's just, you know, obviously he's an arena player too. So there, it, it's going to be you know, skewed more towards that in, in arena. Generally, yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to play with these cards. I mean, you don't always have to play with these cards because generally you will be picking better cards than some of the cards that we do get from these random, random cards. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, g- generally arena does just have more of a, you know, it's very high variance. Yeah, high variance, yeah, having to play with cards you haven't played with or not familiar with, can't play with every single game that you play like you, you do on ladder or standard ladder. So, um, you know, Arena is generally, does present, I think, a more... As high variance as yeah. it is, he's yeah. still getting the same average wins, yeah. you know? So exactly. I just, you know, you, you can tell me this, but, like, I don't see the... I need I need more from 
you to believe you, I guess. And when you but, come um, no, no, with, so, uh, with I, facts yeah. like this, I well, guess. Well, I mean, so I think <laughs> you, we may be interpreting what he's, that this video as just Hearthstone mm-hmm. is in terrible, crazy bad shape, which well, in the end of the video, he does say it, it's heading in that direction. But, it's, I don't but he think says it's this every easy. single video, man, and people are more happy than ever. Like I would challenge. That's how you get views, man. I would. Okay. <laughs> totally so now, so now we're getting to the heart of the subject. You yeah. went with the baby, so that's how you get views. But honestly, let's yeah. look at it from a perspective where um, this is a completely psychological perspective. But let's say I'm enjoying her sound. I'm enjoying the game. Yeah. Um, Which a lot of people I, I listening a, to the show is. They are exactly. That and I have a I have a story to go along with this after. Um, no. Uh, actually, I'll start with the story because it makes more sense. Uh, I played a DreamHack summer la- last year. I played against RDU. Now, I lost to RDU because of he, he basically got lucky. And um, I wasn't upset about it after losing. Um, I was completely fired with losing. And uh, that's just part of how it goes, you know? Yeah. Um, another round, I had made a mistake that lost me that round. And I think that when you go into a tournament like that, you get one loss to randomness, and then you... Um, aren't afforded any other losses. So if you make one on your own, then that's your fault. Now, after I lost to him, RDU said to me, why aren't you more upset? Do you know how lucky I had to get to win that game? I had to hit a 50-50 into a 50-50 into a 50-50 into a 1-11 <laughs> into a 1-10. Oh into a one in 10. Wow. And he goes, seriously, the chances of me winning that game are less than 1%, and you're not even mad right now. I was so upset after that, because I was mad that he wanted me to be mad, and I wasn't mad. All of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I should be upset. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. Screw this <laughs> game, you know? Like, that was bullshit. And it's like, Jeez. to a certain extent, this Crip video can accomplish the same effect. Even if I'm enjoying the game, let's say I'm someone who likes Crip, I'm enjoying the game, I'm playing it on my own, I'm having fun. All of a sudden, Crip tells me about this, and I'm like, the next babbling book I see, I'm like... <laughs> I heard about this card, you know. Fuck this card. He got red pill, bro. You got red pill. He got he got a a paddling book off of it. Now <laughs> I understand that I could be like, well, that's because the video is true, but it's also some confirmation bias. And uh, Crip plays more than any of his viewers, probably not any, but like the majority of his viewers, like by far. So he's enjoying. He's experiencing the game through um, a sped up cycle, I guess, so to speak. And he's kind of putting his views that um, he's, he's gathered after an extremely high amount of playtime to people who don't have an extreme amount of playtime. And, and I'd argue that some of them, their experiences are even being tainted or ruined. I think they would have more fun if they just didn't watch the video and well, just I mean, play that's like, that's, naturally. That's going to be, I mean, I, I don't know about that. I don't know if I see things in the same way because, I mean, we do have experts and experts are the ones that have played more than... You know, why do people watch experts? Why do people watch YouTube videos? This is because we, we view them that way, and we view them as somebody who does know the game more than we do. Um, it's kind of like net decking, right? Net decking, you're, you're losing out on a ton of discovery, too, by net decking, but people do it because they just want to kind of find out like what's at the end of the, you know, the tunnel here. And, but it's about the journey. It is yeah, about man. the journey, but it's most people about... don't understand that at all. You but know? there's they still don't. a journey when you net deck. There's not a journey if you tell me that, like, the game is garbage. Like I'm like, oh, what? You've played for a hundred hours in the okay, last no, week, no and question. now you're telling me that the yeah. game is bad. Like, well, why am I even playing? And then I see I the mean, effects that he talks about, and it comes up. Like, I really think that like you're not as angry about Babbling Book as he is 
the, until you watch the video. Like, and I think that <laughs> well, I seriously, a, he, like, he obviously has influence. So yes, he can affect how people think. And at the same time, that's kind of why he does these, you know, he kind of prefaced it right with, you know, he's doing this video because he feels like open discussion about this type of thing is, is important. And, um, I mean, I do agree with that aspect of it is that, you know, if he did, if he's not happy with the, with the game, he should voice his opinions on it. But he's um, never been happy with the game except for at the very beginning. And it doesn't matter anything that you talk to him about with statistics or nothing. It's just never going to be that way. No, and I think like he's had moments of because. happiness. He's just not as... The, the thing is, like... Everyone wants to be mad at her no, no, man. Everyone does. I know, they but the thing is... They want to that video and they want to be like, yes, Crip. Yes, rail on Blizzard. Tell me about the game's bullshit. Tell me about how I lost well, the Babbling Book. I mean, that, that's our yeah, fault, man. too. Yeah, that's that's our fault, too, because, you know, there are videos of Crips that where he is praising Hearthstone, especially, like, you know, early on this expansion and maybe even last expansion when Arena was in great shape. You know, so there have been moments where he has made those videos, but people never talk about those videos. Nobody ever talks about when people are, are positive well, I mean, about things. Why would I talk so. about that video? He just put out a video where he talked about that video. He says at the beginning... He's like, three weeks in the expansion, I said everything was great. Everything was good. That was the best expansion. I know, but nobody talked about it three like, weeks ago. Like, nobody but then the week after, I realized. What okay, was dude, he, 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 says came he says in the video, oh, he says in the okay, video right. that, that four weeks or six weeks into the, into the Main Streets of Gadgeton meta, that he already knew what was coming. And then that it took another other people a month to realize that, like, the meta was going to be bad and that he realized this and it's like no slight to crip but i mean like rank 14 ladder like it's not that he can't get to ladder it's just that he's not playing at that level and like to be like oh i can see where the game's going when you're not even like in the part of like the ladder that's dictating where the game's going is like i don't know it's just well it's not that you can't be talking about standard ladder like i mean know what you're doing with without being a high rank but it's like he's like i don't know it's just kind of preposterous to to be like to, t- to tell you that he has okay, well, videos praising it when he says that his videos praising it right, right, are right, like right. are um the honeymoon phase he says that in this video basically that his videos praising it are okay the honeymoon sure, phase. sure sure right noxious and that the game think? always comes back to a negative point so what what were you gonna say you're yeah i was just gonna say that like the the current state of Hearthstone, you know the rng that's in it you know within three to four days of playing the ungoro expansion you kind of have a good idea that there's going to be a lot more of those of those outcomes because we'd seen a lot of decks come up that just ran random cards. Like, you know, within a few days, you know, Eloise got rank one legend with that new Miracle Rogue, and I played against it. I just get completely RNG'd by hallucinations and swashburglers. And I thought to myself, this is it. Like, this is the time where every deck has a component of variance. You know, we no right. longer have any patron decks around. Right. And at the beginning of the expansion, that was true because most decks were on the mid-range control side running a whole, aside from Pirate Warrior, it was just like a bunch of decks that at least ran swashburglers burglar for rogues and then over time that changed you know no longer were you getting you know randomly uh, killed by some priest guy who lyred everything perfectly sometimes you do we got the perfect shadow visions and a you know three out of six of pulling the right spells <clears throat> like every everything in the early days was very high variance that way and i thought this is it like this is the set with the most rng but i'm looking at the tournament meta and a lot of it really is like aggro druid zero variance uh, aside from like the adapt on ravazor runs and shit I mean, and you've got pirate warrior quest rogue super consistent decks zero variance aside from the card draw and i'm like it's true that when you play those slower decks you give people the chance to fuck you like you just give them the chance to discover cards and that's just the nature of those of the control 
games in Hearthstone, but people bitch when J-Druid was implemented. They said, well, it's a boring linear control deck. We want something fun. You give them something fun, they say, well, there's too much over RNG. Well, what the fuck do you want? Like, you oh, don't want on. freeze mage because it's fun. It's not fun and interactive. You don't, but it's true. They don't want anything. Like, they never want on. what they have. J-Druid like, is not a good example always that, I mean, okay, but like, to take I'm what fucking... Arshus is saying, like, these cards on average are pretty consistent. Like, you run Cabal Courier, not because you want to be good against aggro, because you want to yeah. be good against control. Like, the cards are consistent. He talks about Lyra. Anyone who's played Priest a lot recently sees how, on average, Lyra is pretty much the same thing. You literally hold it with spells against control when your other game plan doesn't work, and then you right. hope that it bails you out. That's the point of the card. So yeah. when I get the spells that win me the game, it's actually, no, I put Lyra in my deck, and I made a decision to hold on to these spells usually to get to a point where I use Lyra's value engine to get me back into the game. The cards have pretty consistent effects on game states, even though they are grabbing sure. random cards. Right. And as far as like them affecting win rates, I mean... Or like the win rate of Hearthstone overall. Um, I've talked about it a year and a half ago before Pavel won BlizzCon. Pavel just 5-0'd the, the uh, EU versus CM. Like yeah. Obviously, you can say that he's getting lucky, but he's also consistent. He still has a 73% win rate. His win rate ran up a percentage over the last six months. Obviously, it's not much. It's not like he's played a ton of games. But overall, he's played a ton of games like in his career, and he still has an yeah. incredibly high win rate. Like There is skill out there. and like, Oh, there's plenty of skill. It's just like, like, again, the skill has a lot to do with with um i mean it, it it's not explicit you know like we talked about this on previous episode of value town the, the skill that's having to be applied are are behind this you know like in your in the minds of the players you know having to predict well, and having to figure out at least what kind of cards might he be getting you know like okay if he, he plays primordial glyph now i have to adjust all possibilities right and and uh playing around that those type of things so there's a lot of things going on that people just don't see on the screen well, it's incredibly easy not to see that when the players who are seeing it don't really make content and the people who aren't seeing it push out <laughs> content twice a day. Well, that's why they love Firebat and Zelay casting. You know, I was going to say, you know, yeah, when Firebat yeah, and Zelay, that's one of the big upsides <laughs> is like when you have somebody like Firebat who plays meme decks on stream and then has very solid knowledge of the game, uh, regardless because he keeps track and keeps himself up to date at the very least of what the meta is like, even if he doesn't play actively at uh, the top 100, if he doesn't care to get there. Um, he's still one of those players that people trust the opinion of. And I, I I think Hearthstone overall, like if I look back at the days of say patron warrior, right? Um, like that was probably the era where like pure skill was the most important and there was very little variance yeah. in, in that, the outcome of the game. For that. Mm -hmm. um, highest win rates, I think on the ladder at that point were like 66 to 67. Uh, talking to Firebat about that. And right now it's somebody... Mm. It, no, but something like that. It, it, it yeah, was, like, the, the average rates are win different rate. now. They've changed the ladder, though. It had when they changed the ladder, it had a huge difference. I see this like all the time with pros. Like, but they've gone down now. Are, yes, because they changed the ladder. They changed the ladder. It makes it yes, go down exactly though. because of the way you're paired now. If you're in top 100, you usually only precisely yeah, sure, top 100. Sure. So you have to have I was going to bring that up to get there. Yeah, so you need like basically you can't just farm people basically. Um, if you're hyper consistent, you always get paired to where the ideal, of course, that the MMR system is a 50 50. Um, so as they're getting better with that, the win rates decrease. But I feel like we're in a very good compromise phase between, you know, patron meta and Dr. Boom Shredder meta. I personally hate a GBG with all my heart, my passion. 
just like my interest in Hearthstone decreased every single time somebody dropped Doctor Boom on the board. Like every single time, I just went, "Yep, not fucking looking at that. Nope, not interested. Nope, this sucks." And it was every game, so there was nothing. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Oh, I don't even, I don't even mind Doctor Boom. I like you know when everyone. Uh, I minded it at the mage, time. And the blast mage hit all the right targets. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the mage, the mech, the mech right mages, and the mech, just all those, those were, were unstable very portal. I mean, yeah. we're talking about but the whole era now. Like the era of GVG was the most toxic. Zoo was running jugglers. You had Soulfire randomly discarding shit. You had jug yeah, like the nobody the blast mage. Nobody liked nobody it. Nobody. Loved that. That's a, that's so. Like, when I look at the current set of Hearthstone, I'm thinking there is RNG, but it's so. Like it's so control. focused and narrowed down and controlled yeah, that it control doesn't base. bother me. Yeah. It triggers me when I like I, I got mm-hmm. killed early in the expansion by a quest row, completes the quest, has zero cards in hand, plays Swashburglar, gets living mana, a bunch of five fives. I flip a shit because you know, what are the odds <laughs> that they get living mana? It, it's one of those crazy scenarios, like but the nightmare. truth is like if I replay that scenario a hundred times, I'm good to go. Um and it shouldn't happen repeatedly. It shouldn't happen like every single game that you get Swashburg yeah, yeah. into living mana with a completed quest. So I'm I'm just okay with it. Like, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm I'm, I'm generally happy. It. I'm generally happy with the game too. I mean, I'm I'm you know I've been having a lot of you know a good time playing it. I don't play it ten hours a day though. You know, so yeah, I, I am more like true. What you're that's talking what I'm about trying that. to say. Well, so, if you yeah, if you keep watching videos where people tell you the game sucks, you don't even have to play. But 10 that's hours any game. So that's that. the thing, and that's another point <laughs> that he made. I and mean, we, we need to talk about heroic brawl in a second. But that's another point that he made is that, um, you know, that's kind of I led this discussion with, you know, this is kind of that period where we're after the honeymoon period. It's six weeks in, and this is when people start, you, you know, just start uh, or things start stabilizing, and people start getting bored of just you know, what's going on or what the meta is. And but they. There's a lot of people yeah. that still enjoy it. I know, they I know. They just didn't watch videos talking not to. And and that's the truth, dude. That's the that was the truth. Even you know during Karazhan when you know we said it was the worst. There were still like tons of people that loved Hearthstone even during that during that time. So that's always the case. And these are the type of people that listen to shows like Value Town and you know Anger Chicken and everything. And the thing is, is um, you know when it comes to the six weeks thing, it brings up the discussion of just re- releasing things at a specific increment and i alluded to this like months ago where it'd be great if blizzard just figured out what what, where is that point after every single expansion on average that people start getting antsy again you know and and the the criticism and and the negativity starts coming out and then boom that's when you're supposed to release something again you know at least something come out with some kind of change whether it's like a nerf buff whatever and i feel like you know this six to eight weeks is about right you know it's i don't know yeah, I mean, then the, you have to have you have more content, so people need to pay for more content. We know how that. No, goes. no, just change the existing cards. Just change whatever. <laughs> just it's change. Like, the you mean like a balance patch? Like, even like right yeah. now, like yeah. I don't think any of the pro players are like these are the best decks. This is my like they could yeah. literally play something next week. Like you say, like the the meta is like stabilizing, but I mean not. Yeah, really. not, like we're not, not completely. Maybe, like maybe, not even yeah, close. maybe not completely, but maybe and in I, two, to, two to four weeks. Maybe we. we do I mean, I brought it up before. Like we argued, like he said, there's no new decks in standard in like a month, but yet we hadn't had a new deck. Like, I, don't know, I just don't buy into it, man. I just, I never. I mean, there, I, are, there I, are variations. There's points, and, there's there points where I have bought into this, but I don't really buy into it. Remember Water Rogue. This is gonna be forever. <laughs> oh, my yeah. go-to. Yeah. People say there's yeah, never yeah, any. Yeah, n- remember Water Rogue. Yeah. That deck True. just came out of a dry, stale meta and said, fuck all of you, I'm climbing to rank one. And er- no one saw point. it coming, really. A few people thought, 
you know, yeah. the meta was solved and everything was already set. It would have been very so, easy so, for someone not to discover Gunther Mage, for instance. The yeah, 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 like, yeah. Oh, like that, like that could have easily popped up later on. In Even Secret Mage, mage. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. And then Secret Mage is a little bit more built. You know, that's a little bit more like that. I think that Obvious, would come, yeah. it would come out eventually. But there are deck lists that don't come yeah, out eventually because they're so not. So I, I'm not saying we're in the state right now. Like I, I'm just saying, this is a general solution to because it. You know, this first expansion is the best one. This one's going to have the most legs out of any expansion this year because we had the reset too. The next expansion is going to have a shorter period before, you know, things start to stabilize. You know, I'm happy that we're not in that stabilized state, but I'm just saying like we still need to, you know, they still need to be thinking about that solution in my opinion. Um, And, you know, Crypt just, I think Crypt's sentiments, I mean, that can, it, it might not be the, the most popular sentiments, but it, it does seem to be a trend that does happen, especially on Reddit and things like that. So um, it's a recurring conversation that probably needs to be had. You know, we definitely have it on this show, like, plenty of times. It's, but. it's, it's very interesting because it has a lot to do with how you consume Hearthstone, which is all I've been trying to point out. Yeah. Like, if you spent the time and you... It's like, you know those people who don't buy guides to play solo player games? Yeah. It's like you're yeah. buying a guide and reading it thoroughly to play every single game you play. Like, And then you ended up beating it quickly and you were like, well, that game's super easy. Yeah. It's like yeah. you just don't – that's how you experience Hearthstone, but you don't experience other games like that. And then people expect like – like how difficult yeah. is it to make – like even like even if you release extra cards, like to make the game good for like – a long stretch of like weeks or months that are like as fresh as it is when a new expansion like it's just not a thing because of the way that people consume the game they play you know 10 hours a day and then they produce content and then people look at the That's deck culture, list and people read about how to i know it's the culture but i'm saying like That's- we need to realize that that's the culture and realize the like effect that it has. You're you setting just, yourself up for it, okay, basically. Okay, so here's it's the thing. Not an accident. And you can you, you can adjust to the culture is what you're saying, and you can release the, no, the no, cards. No, no. You can either have yeah. millions of people adjust their culture, hundreds of thousands of people adjust how their beha- you know what their behavior is. Well, now or you have or everyone. you have Blizzard or you have Blizzard just change the way they release mm. changes. Like, now you're arguing that everyone consumes the game at the same pace, and that's no, not I'm true. not. I'm not saying. Argue, no, no, no. I, I said hundreds of thousands. I still said like hundreds of thousands, not like. And I still think that's million. way overblown. Not, not Seventy I think million. I, about, I think so too. I think at fifty k, if fifty k players experience the game the way that we're we're bitching about it, <laughs> okay. like I'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Right. like like I, that's I, how. I, mean, I just that, feel really. I just okay. feel like the vocal, the people that you see watching YouTube are already more invested than the average person probably. The people that are vocal about it play way more often um i just feel like we think that the game should be catered to us always and the reality oh. is is that other people aren't experiencing the game the same way and blizzard knows okay, so uh, roughly what those numbers are you made you made that point about crypt's video right just like crypt you know telling all these people and and accelerating people's experience right Two hundred seventy-eight thousand people watch this video so you're telling me what a fourth of these people or whatever a fifth of these people don't don't you know aren't i guess in the same or won't feel the same way you know i think that it's very easy to get someone to agree with you when you make a video that's 16 minutes long and you don't explain the other side of the story um and i think that people are in a position where they're inclined to want to agree with it right off the bat before even starting the video that's why they got to the video in the first place but that's my whole point right that's just the the culture of these things are that they're going to be influential people making content and you know i just think that affects a lot of people I mean, definitely. I just think that from Crip's perspective, he should maybe 
reflect on the fact that other people aren't playing as much as him and they aren't seeing these flaws they're actually enjoying the game and if he was to play any game as much as he plays Hearthstone he would end up seeing these flaws um, because we usually don't experience most games uh, like we at the rate we experience Hearthstone solo player co-op anything yeah, I I will say one thing too is like one of the points that he brings up in the video from from having you know, yeah, a, a blip of it was the fact that the better player doesn't always win even if he's got knowledge. Knowledge is one of the traits that I think he he points to as something that matters less now than he used to because knowing what your opponent's deck is doesn't mean you can play around the stuff he actually has because he generated those cards through random means, and I, I think. What he's saying is the knowledge should have a, a bigger weight uh, in Hearthstone. And if there's RNG, it should not be uh, in the cards that the opponent's holding. Like maybe the, the one of the issues is like Mad Bomber doesn't bother him, but the generation of a random flame strike is, you know, so much more impactful that yeah, the, the weight of that, that card is bigger. The thing is, I, I don't see where the line is drawn in the sand as to what's acceptable um because well, this is this like, is a general you can average out juggler and play around juggler when it's on the board right you can say you can like okay i'm gonna put higher health minions that are gonna soak up more damage but at the end of the day like it's the same thing with cards that they hold in their hand um well the, the it's risk- a different thing i mean both of them have their you know okay so here's like how many cards but- like, they play primordial glyph right how many cards can you instantly discount like in mage that they would never pick Almost right. Like this is there's an array of cards that you just never would assume that no one's gonna take shatter. Like there's a few cards you just don't think about. So then you look at the playables that come out of Primordial Glyph, and you're looking at well, secret is that yeah, if they're playing a, a control game and whatnot. So you can assume that you're gonna get AOE the fuck out. Like you can assume between Meteor, Blizzard, Flame Strike, Kona Cold, something's gonna come out that's gonna lock you on the board. Um, um, Primordial Glyph, sure, is something that's predictable, but Babbling Book is not. I mean, it's. Well, Babbling Book is just, it's, it's a it's case not, of a card right. that's, in Arena, like, the thing is, it's just playable. In Constructed, though, that card has, it's getting cut out of a, a lot of it. <laughs> the reality I mean, is, is that... I've argued about this point many I times. Mean, just what, cards what Nox is just saying is, yeah. like, if you look at somebody, like, I play with a lot of people, right. where Skaka is the best example that I know. He is playing around, if you can afford, if it doesn't decrease your your... Like the state, like yeah, the your state chance of, your of winning. Yeah. He's literally playing around these random effects, like here, 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 and here. Like you know, five sure. turns in a row. And even if yep. it's really small, like let's say you don't run Direwolf Alpha as an example, but somehow they mulch your minion and you get Direwolf Alpha. He's like placing correctly, and then gets the Direwolf Alpha, and it works out, and he gets a trade that he wouldn't have gotten otherwise, and then he wins the game because he gets the face damage. Right, sure. Someone okay. else might have just slapped their minions down, got Direwolf Alpha, it didn't work out, and they were like, then they lost, and they are like, wow, that guy kept drawing taunts. He got lucky. And it's like, there is percentages to gain. Now, this is a really, really niche example, but, I mean, this is just off my head. I but if you extrapolate to every in outcome... Mage, I, in Mage, like, you can, you can look yeah, at it, and, no, like, it's yeah, like, no, even nobody, the most basic is meteor positioning, right? You can position yeah. against Meteor. And there's a Reddit videos where Crypt gets blown up by Meteor even if, when he positions because they, like, kill a minion or whatever. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm just, you know, this is, again, this conversation is is a kind of a different one. And one we've had before where, you know, it's adding cards to a person's deck, how does that actually affect just TCGs? And you're just this type of card game in general and, and preparing for it and playing around it. Yes, all the pro players have figured out you know, even more extensive ways to, to add even more skill to creating even small percentages for them to win that other people don't. 
Um, so people are navigating it, no question about that. But you know, overall, I think that's that's another conversation. But we've spent a ton of time on this, so we probably should move on just with Chris's video. Um, but we've got some Q and A emails now. So the heroic brawl. You want to <laughs> dude? There's not much to say about that. I mean, it's just. Heroic Brawl, I mean, he, he showed some stats on it. it. You know, obviously the stats show that it wasn't very popular. A lot of people watched it but didn't play it. And, you know, like, I guess the argument is would more people have played it if it was cheaper? Or would more people be interested in it from the playing standpoint, not from a, a watching standpoint? Yeah, sure. and I think that lower the price pool obviously gets more people in. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. obviously. I, yeah. I don't think that necessarily that's um good or bad i'll tell you that i think that there's a team of experts working at blizzard who decided this price point uh, very thoroughly and they didn't just happen upon it um i don't know he used like the survey but there isn't surveys of regular tavern brawls to compare to so i really don't know what kind of weight the survey holds like i don't know what percentage of the community is enjoying an average tavern brawl or what percentage of the community is even watching people do regular... Like, no one streams regular tavern brawls. No one's like, turns on their stream, and they're like, I'm a tavern brawl player. You know, yeah, so They it's did like, for a while, but now now the tavern brawls are just rehashed every single Well, time, you would have... So, like, honestly, the only ones I really liked were the ones where it was pure skill. Ragnaros versus Nefarian. 100% deckless reveal. Everybody knew yeah. everything about that, and it was down to getting those small edges when they matter. Like... I think oh, those okay. I mean, th- those were the ones I liked the most because it was a puzzle. You had the decklist open and revealed, and you had to navigate the matchup in the exact same optimized fashion, ideally, uh, every single time. It got old to a lot of people, yeah. but for me, that was a brilliant... Yeah. I mean, I think brawl. a lot of people play Tavern Brawl. I don't know what the percentages yeah. are, but a lot of people do, and that's why they're Casuals always, do. Yeah, ca- that is the casual... Literally. Game format. You know, I that, mean, I don't know how often they play. Like you, you can say like a lot of people play Tavern Ball. I know people enjoy Tavern Ball, but I don't have any statistics. Yeah, I, I can tell you that I, my I wife plays 100 Tavern Brawls. I am she does not play anything else in that game. Towards it's a lot of people. It's like more yeah, people has, than we think. He has some other points too about how like unless you get 12 wins, you don't make your money back. But that's just false. And then he's like, oh, but you could be like Crip after seven wins, you get equal your packs of stuff worth in gold and he's like but that's not gold but what is gold if not to get stuff to spend on packs, yeah. yeah like it's not like i could spend my gold on specific cards anyways so i'm always taking a random chance gold to get anything packs like worse getting yeah getting like the i mean golden we, legendaries is even better like you definitely make your money back before 12 wins and then he talks like well if people can't compete at the ten dollar prize point i get that and I, and I understand that they, they probably want to compete in the, the tournament mode, and, and it sucks that they can't given the, the price point that's been listed. But at the same time, it's like not – you don't have to be involved in everything. It's FOMO, right? Like not everything a game puts out has to be for you, you know? It's okay to sit back and be like, you know, this time I just can't compete in this or I can't do this. It's like well, wild right now. Like I don't want to craft the cards because it's actually a monetary investment that's not small for me. And that's going to result in me not being able to compete in the tournament, but that's how it is. Like, uh, this isn't for yeah, me, and this yeah. isn't, and I'm okay with that, you know? All right. Yeah. So, Heroic Brawl, I mean, it's, it's something they're still playing around with. And I wish they would just do one iteration that was a little bit less, and then they could see what's going on there. Um, I think they would just release a tournament mode. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's asking. So, Frodan yeah. tweeted the first time they released yeah. a Heroic Brawl. Yeah. And he told me. Um, all right, so let's do some Q&A, just some quick Q&A, and we'll wrap up. Uh, so uh, Ahmed, of course, uh, uh, just our regular 
Question asker, greetings from the land of Ancient Watchers. Do you think Blizzard should make a bundle gold option with some guaranteed drops to lower the gap of free-to-play as adventures will go away? As adventures acted as kind of a bundle for these players. Yeah, so should they offer bundles? I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about it in the past, but maybe ne- never talked about gold bundle gold options. Uh, like uh, you get an arena run, five packs, and a golden legendary or something? Maybe. Just something. I mean, I'm, some I'm kind down of with any. Honestly, like we've, we've rehashed this topic a lot, and yeah. I think I'll just end with... Um, I think it would be nice if they added anything that let people get back into the game without expending, you know, the full cost of the expansion. Basically. Resurrection scrolls. Yeah, dude. Yeah, those, those, okay. are the, those are the fucking thing. Yeah. Those are yeah. the dream. Yeah, I mean, I'll be brief on this topic. I think it's pretty well hashed out. Um, first, I'll say that Blizzard is a leader in the space, which means that competitors are going to need to entice you to play their game somehow. So they're going to get you into their game by having an advantage of a lower price point most of the time. And that's yep. the goal. They're going to give you more free stuff, so you play their game over Blizzard's game. That's an easy way for them to do that. It's a, um, so it doesn't cost them anything, uh, while Blizzard, Blizzard doesn't, doesn't have necessarily to do have to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So just from an economic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense that there isn't these types of bundles. It isn't that you won't see the bundles in the future. Yeah. And I think that bundles are a good idea and that they keep players... Um, uh, happy, so uh, I think that definitely something Blizzard could look into. But I also understand why other games give out more free stuff than Hearthstone. Yeah, of course, uh, in theory. Uh, let's see. Tom has another question here. Uh, your, your discussion on episode one twenty one about the environment and tournaments not always being the best for players made me think about some experience of my own. I've competed a lot in real life shooting sports, and recently there have been a lot of changes in rules that make the sport more entertaining to watch, like loud music during events. This might bother the competitors, but enhance the experience for the viewer. Do you guys think changes to enhance the viewer experience in Hearthstone could be justified, even though players in tournaments might have a hard time dealing with them? I think it's an interesting thought. Um, I mean, I think that I've been pretty fair on this over over like my career, like I think that that's definitely a thing. And I think I'm actually closer to the viewing experience than most pros. Um, it was just that last week when we covered the topic of B dubs, I don't think that the viewing experience is it's not better. existent. It's, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's existent even yeah. in this scenario. I don't think people are going to go to B dubs to watch me play at B dubs. I think that they might be more inclined even to go, or if I pushed it harder to go, to, if Blizzard like made a more of a market scheme for it to go to B dubs to watch prelims. Like, I don't think that they That's necessarily what I was getting at last week, go too. to experience it with me being yeah. there playing there. So I don't think I have to play there. Um, but I'm all for a loud venue if I make it to like the Bahamas or Shanghai. Like I get that. You want to bring in viewers. You want to fill the seats. You want it to be exciting. You want the loud noises. Um, an example is BlizzCon, for instance. They have lights that change different colors now. You might not know this watching it as a viewer, but the light scheme at BlizzCon last year was actually programmed. Every single card has its own light um sequence yeah. um i don't know yeah, Melcast works for ESL, program yeah. those yeah. um like each card that was played in standard at that point had a different light sequence uh and obviously the players don't want different lights flashing in their eyes like they were complaining about it but it adds to the viewer experience of the people there um not necessarily the people online so it's a balancing act do you want a bunch of lights flashing in the player's eyes is it worth having the players there people there enjoying it and I think that that's something closer to what the this viewer described yeah. in his question, where you need to balance that type of thing out 
versus where playing at B-dubs, it's like, well, there's really okay, no so reason. Okay, so I do want to add something, because a few innkeepers, especially Amy here, the one that's doing the one in Florida here, um, she did kind of map out or at least explain some of the things that they are doing. And it sounds like they are, you know, making the 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 you know the steps that will be you know having the players kind of off on you know off on their own and, and kind of you know separating the players from necessarily the the rest of the viewers there and and just the Wi-Fi situation or just the internet situation you know Blizzard's giving them you know route, hardware to actually use um, and they're working with like the IT folks at, at BW, mm-hmm. BW so yeah. it, they're definitely I think BWs will be fine like as a venue I don't think that's going to I be mean, an issue in the end but it's I just, covered it last week that they were upgrading yeah. their their hardware and the internet like I talked to an innkeeper who mm-hmm. said the same thing to me like that they were yeah. trying to get a good venue and I think that that's fair um, I think that Blizzard could benefit from some transparency it, it uh, still brings area. up to the point where it still brings up the point where what is the you know con- outside of conceptual from a practical standpoint what is the point of having these kind of events that are pseudo fireside and pseudo pre- prelim events, or just you know yeah prelim events? Mm-hmm. Like what what is the point of it? You know like if it's not going to be just giant kind of venue that you can really feel like you've you know like you're at a special event and that sort of thing. If it's just like one person, let's just say you have one person at this event and then you only have like ten people watching him. Then what is the point of even organizing things like that around the country? You know, outside of the fact that you're trying to create as many locations that aren't super far away, right? I mean, it's, that's that's about the only reason you're doing that. It's funny because every time you do it wrong, it actually becomes harder to do it right the next time. Because every time you do it wrong, someone goes and experiences that and says, "Wow, this was boring," and they go <laughs> tell their friends, and their friends don't go there the next time. Yeah. So it's like. You don't have yeah. an infinite time just to get it right. Like, yeah, you, you don't have an and, infinite tries. You you do at some point uh, deliver. I, I, so it's just I don't know. I'm, I'm not even if B-dubs is great for the player experience. I think that I worry about the and this is a marketing question more than it is a Hearthstone question. There was someone in a room somewhere that's high up in Blizzard or wherever they are in Blizzard who decided that this would be a good idea, and I just don't think that they had the right people advising well, them or okay. people who could advise them in a way that would allow them to make the correct decision in this in the circumstance. Not really much to say. Like I think that anyone who's knowledgeable in the space who isn't um, controlled by any influences would tell you that this idea doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of marketing well, I, for I think beatups it, or so, anything. So I think it could make sense. Well, not necessarily marketing and beatups, but. I think it could make sense if you know it was very they they at least a lot allotted enough time to know who was going to be at each location you know and because there are some players who you know do qualify for for um you know just these these prelims and dog for example yeah well oh yeah so like there there's some big names right but also there's some names that are not big names and I think those people are the ones that are probably most open and and benefit from having, you know, local people come and support them, you know, just, I mean, because they never see people, they never actually see people rooting for them or ever, you know, that sort of thing. I, I'm, so it might be reaching, but I'm just saying that's at least like some hugely kind of misplaced. Argument. I don't think that just, they care at all. Like they're not even usually local. It's not like it's in my town or something. Sure. Like, I'm just trying yeah. to reach. I'm trying to figure out some like, kind of even dog. For it, even right? for dog, it's like, well, it's a chance for fans to see dog. Do you think dog wants to talk to all of his fans during the prelims? Like I covered this last time. It's not yeah, like yeah, dog's yeah, not yeah. a nice guy or whatever. It's just like if a bunch of people, if it's like in Dallas and a bunch of people go to like 
be there and see dog it's like i don't know do you think he so, wants all so, that okay. as well sure and i, I was just That's what I'm trying to say like but if you're gonna if so if you're gonna do this type of thing it should be in fewer places and having more of them all together in a, just like a bigger type of event you know so like the people are actually in the crowd like they're not actually up on you know like yeah. even close and at a bar and a tavern and being able yeah. to watch it like that or, or have you know close access to all this stuff so yeah. I, I think that's the one thing that i need to think about it costs a lot but as to, as to the specifics to of what would be successful like that's a long conversation yeah, but it's cool. not that i'm not open to it like i said if I like it was that. bahamas or, or shanghai i don't care if it's a big stage if it's loud etc etc that's just the environment that I'm going to have to play in. You know, it's supposed to be expect a spectacle. It's supposed to be for the viewers. Um, there's reasons for that, and it benefits me as a player. That's why I can play the game professionally is because people are going to go experience the game in this way, and that's how they enjoy experiencing the game. And I'm completely ready to understand that and cater towards that, honestly, like especially yeah. um, like that scenario. But I just don't think that this event is that. And if yeah. you want it to be, then you need to make it that. Sure. Uh, all right, last question, Tiki Man. I used to play Hearthstone with my brother. We loved it until it got too expensive for him, on principle. Uh, he is now discouraged to play with me as I'm several expansions ahead of him because I bought, I kept buying packs. What do you all think about the type of friend <coughs> where you can only select cards that both players have in his or her collection? Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a, an idea that I had when Hearthstone was around in, in beta. <laughs> I was saying it would be nice if I could actually, if we could, if we could like pool my cars and their cars to build the decks instead. Um, you get to like yeah. share your, your collection with a friend when it comes to playing against them. It's just in the 1v1 scenario and never in the, in the case of like, you know, they can ladder with your stuff. You can't lend them the cards. They're never going to own those cards. It's just for 1v1. Um, they can basically share those cards for deck building purposes. But yeah. That would they could require a bit of an you know interface tweaking, but I think that would be great for uh, the sake of introducing new people to the game. One of the things to keep in mind though is that um, if that's the only game mode people engage, then they never spend a dime. And Blizzard tells you to go fuck yourself, and that idea is the worst thing you've ever thought of ever. Period. Ever. And uh, yeah, just that's an issue. And so, they know the math behind that. So, yeah, <laughs> and it's not worth it for them. I'm pretty damn sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you won't see that ever. It's a, well, you... It's like one of these ideas where, like, let me just finish this, like yeah. this answer. It's like if I said, what do you think about Blizzard giving everybody 50k dust tomorrow so they can catch up? It's like, I'm a player. I'd love it. Fucking fantastic. Like I lose nothing by having that happen. But Blizzard has no reason to ever do that. Um, unless they start bleeding customers, I guess. But Right, right. Oh. I, I would say there is a semblance of this type of thing in certain tavern brawls. Sure. You know, yeah. Um, and I, th I think that's maybe where they, they touch on it or they get a little bit of their feet wet doing this type of thing. But, um, you know, why not just have one week where, yeah, you just give them maybe even infinite amount of dust, you know, and, and it literally only lasts for a week and have them be able to play and experience all the cards. Isn't that a good way to kind of sell packs to people and, and try to get folks to buy packs too? Uh, I mean, <clears throat> it's a marketing decision. Yeah, of course. They could make it. They could not make it. Yeah. So in the end, it's it would be great. It'd be great if you know you could. It gets back to what we were talking about with just even social Hearthstone, just being able to play yeah. friend games. But in the end, they're not going to be motivated to do it unless you know unless there's a reason it's, to do it. It's such a tough, tackling free to play 
like there's so many videos criticizing it, but like, are there any solutions that take into account like Blizzard? Like, really? Because like, I just don't see many. Like the week long thing where they have free cards is something they could definitely do. Uh, that might be entice people to play. Uh, I think that's like a decent idea. But like in general, like it's just a tough problem because people expect to be able to play the game however they want to play it because they feel like that's how you experience games. You know, like people you'll choose the Overwatch example. Like I bought Overwatch of all the champs. I could play that forever and ever and ever. But like that's just how this game is set up. Like that's that how the genre the is set up that way. Set up. Yeah. Like you don't just buy the game. Like you, you never bought the game actually. So like you never pay that fifty dollars yeah. up front. Um, and it has more upkeep, I think, than people think. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily extremely high. But you got to wonder, like, what would be a price point at which you would be okay with Hearthstone. Like, let's say to get in initially, you had to pay like 50 bucks. And then every expansion, you had to pay another 50 bucks. It's like, do you even. That's cheap. That's cheap for us. That's yeah, super right. cheap. Right. But the, the, I, how, how much, how big would the player cheap. base be? No, but how big would the, it would be the tiniest shit ever. Can you oh, imagine how many players would be so, playing so Hearthstone and watching many, no one? How many no games one. have you paid forty nine ninety nine on your iPhone? <laughs> like never, right? Nobody's thing. Like I don't even buy games that cost fifty bucks in general. But I'm not. I'm not a huge gamer like that. Like, oh I have like a thousand games on my Steam or I, something. You know. I mean, I used to make games and apps, and I don't think I bought a game that was more than ninety nine cents ever, just on any of the apps. And and it's so. it's one of those things where like, okay, let's assume even better than that, right? The game was free to play, and it was fifty bucks to get all the cars. Um, yeah, it'd be a if you did that, all you would do is you would basically lose money on the guys that already plan to spend cash, because people who yeah, are willing to put fifty dollars, a lot of them are willing to put three hundred because that's a card game for them, and they're just gonna get all the cards anyway. So all you're doing is you're not really like there's no entry. You're not getting new customers because there are people who are gonna be diehard free to play regardless of what you do. You could tell them it's ten bucks to get all the cards, but like, ah, fuck that. I'm not paying a single cent for all these cards. I'm gonna grind it free to play because for a lot of people, it's not. Even, it's like just a, a principle thing, basically, where to them, a mobile game is supposed to be free to play. They're going to play it for free no matter what. And that you tell them is going to be fifty instead of three hundred to get a full set is relevant. Uh, they don't yeah. care. They're, they're not going to put fifty dollars in that game. Yeah, and agreed. that's pretty much what you have to understand. Like, and it's fun. Like, I'll close on that topic. But income inequality is actually, if you look at textbooks regarding monetization models of video games. Income inequality is largely the reason why the freemium games work the way they do. As there is rising income inequality, you have rising gaps in um, the way that monetization happens. And this yeah. is the, the Hearthstone is no different. I, I think you should just. There's a broader problem going on or a broader uh, trend, I, I, I guess. Yeah. I wish I could ever experience a game as free to play. Like for me, it's like yeah. I just said, like I literally, I, when I played the game, I, I played Magic Online. I sold my Magic Online collection. I took my 400 bucks. I went to Hearthstone. Snap spent 400 bucks on packs. Made Zoo. Got to Legend. Like, yeah. it was like within three days. Like, there right. was no hesitation like, for me that that's just what you do. So, for other people, that's not the case. And I get that. But there's a lot of. I have friends. I have a friend, IRL. Last month, he played mid range palette or control paladin before it got popular. 
I don't know if he ended up finishing top 100. I'm not sure, but he was top 20 up until the last two days. I'm Legend Lather. He has not spent a dime on the game in two years. He has actually recently Frozen made a Ramp Druid deck, and I had to craft two cards for it. He had all the cards. Yeah. He had more cards than I have being free to play. He just has less gold cards than I do. So he actually had more cards being free to play this entire time um, than other people. And I get that, like, you can't be free to play during a time period where you didn't play. So, like, to get new players into the game, it's kind of rough. Um, And they do have the welcome bundle. Maybe they could have more bundles or more incentives. Um, But I just don't know if it's worth it uh, for them. I mean, it's also, it's, I mean, it, it, it could be that something that people don't have a problem with right now. It's only just certain vocal people have problems with. You know, a lot of people are just happy to play whatever deck that they like to play once or twice a day. That's it. And that's fine. So it's... it's I'll a- never defend the monetization, like the, the price point. I'll never be I think in it's support. Hot, to be fair. Say what? I said I think the, pri- the price of like packs is hot. Right. Like I cannot yeah. defend the current price points of Hearthstone in general. I will never defend them. I will forever be in favor of the customer, quote-unquote, to just get more stuff. But... I, I don't think right now you can expect anything to be different. Like it, just asking if I would like to see new things that help new players. Of course, of course. Like it, yeah. It's I mean, so that's, a, that's an obvious. It's like saying, wouldn't right. you love just free healthcare on top of not having to pay taxes? Like <laughs> sure, I fucking sure. would love it. It would be great, dude. Yeah, I fucking yeah. dig it. But I, I can't have my right. cake and eat it too at this point. Yeah. And no, I agree. I agree. It's uh... all right. Well, why don't we wrap up? Uh, we spent some long times on, on a few of those topics, but definitely some great things that came up and great discussion. Why don't we do? Why don't we start some shoutouts with you, Rat? Where can people find you, buddy? Uh, at the Rat on Twitter. Um, if you're lucky enough to catch me streaming on Twitch <laughs> slash the Rat, uh, yeah. Shoutouts to Splice. Shoutouts to um, what we talked about earlier, uh, Life Coach in general uh and uh good luck to strife crow on his new team all right cool noxious shout outs where can people find you there's uh, a big shout out to complexity as and yourself for putting the show together uh, the rats are becoming like of a common guest these days <laughs> yeah, so yeah, hopefully yes. you get to have him again on the show in the future uh, i'd be good and uh, if you want to find me twitter col underscore noxious not that i post anything worthwhile Aside from memes and on Twitch, noxious underscore GG. Although these days, I just I'm gonna be casting a whole bunch, so yeah, it's kind of hard to find me stream Hearthstone. All right, awesome. I just thank the two of you guys for doing the show today, and all of you guys for watching. Given that I know there's a lot going on in the community, uh, especially on these Wednesdays, but you can find the vods for Value Ten on YouTube.com/slash/ChamionV if you miss any of them or maybe any of our previous episodes. You can find them all there. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at ValueTownGG as well as myself at ChamanV. And uh, I want to give a last shout out just to our patrons, of course, that support the show, patreon.com slash ValueTown. If you guys want to you know, throw a quarter, a dollar, whatever our way, I mean, it, it goes a long ways, guys. It goes like super long ways for us. So um, you know, think about that if you really, really enjoy the show, as well as Game Coach for sponsoring this episode. Um, check out their site, game-coach.com. You can actually click on the graphic down below, too. There's one there, or you might be seeing it in the chat. Uh, they're a um, coaching site that uh, coaches that have coaches for Hearthstone as well as some other games like League of Legends and CS:GO and, and Overwatch. So definitely check them out and um, you know get some coaching today because the coaching goes a long ways, guys. Rad, do you ever coach or no? 
Have you been um, doing that at all lately or no? I mean, I used to coach mm-hmm. before I played uh, on Splice. Uh, I mean, I coach, I have a coaching thing. You can book me, but it's like, <laughs> shout out gotcha. to Exala Academy. You can book me out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, not the same. It. it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. The yeah. same company as the one that sponsors the show. Cause I don't bring it up. Yeah. yeah also, gotcha. um, not cheap. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Anyways. Yeah. Ch- check out some of the coaches, uh, obviously on game dash coach.com and, um, you know, become legendary. That's going to be it guys for value town. So for the rat, Noxious and myself, Chamian V. We'll see you next week. Later.